0: Hey everyone, uh, it's 10 p.m. Eastern, this is another late night degenerate dregs episode. Uh, a lot going on, so I thought I would jump on for a short bit tonight, probably only to look, look at an hour, because uh, we all have things to do, places to be, whatever have you, tomorrow morning. Uh, sorry, my app just completely crashed, so yay, we'll see if this lasts or if it's not buggy tonight. <laughs> Oh, we're off to a great start already. Uh, No, that's not a beer. It's just a peary water. Um, We'll see if we can get through this one without everything crashing. Uh, Obviously, today was that big dreaded day that both the administration and our media were preparing us all for. Uh, That's right. You're all crazy that we're not in a recession. How do you like that? Of course, you knew that this wasn't the case for a couple of reasons. One, they just started talking about this a few days ago. You don't try to redefine a recession out of the blue, unless you look at the numbers and go, oh gosh, everyone's going to think we're in a recession. Well, why would everyone think that? Well, gee, because uh, we just hit the second straight quarter of negative GDP growth, the economy shrank, something like a 0.09%, and by anyone's accounting that has been around the block a few times, that is the primary indicator that uh, we have, we've officially hit a recession. And you can probably start to see or expect some kind of economic contraction happening here in the uh, near future. What was interesting about this obviously was the, the media outlets. And I talked about this on the previous episode of, of people who were going to fall right in line. And it certainly looks like uh, Politico uh, took the cake on this one. Um, Ben White, who he kind of went out and he redefined it himself from his past, um, his past statements. I think my favorite one on this today And, uh, I'm certainly, we're going to get your reactions. I'm already seeing, so I like seeing a bunch of new faces in the call queue. So that's good was John Harwood. And you knew he was just dying inside because he could not tweet out a redefinition of the recession, um, and get that sweet, sweet Ronald Klein uh, retweet, because he was pretty definitive in a tweet from 2019 where he said, by the way, it's not possible for a recession to last only two months recession equals economy shrinks for two straight quarters. Um, there's not a lot of headroom on that one. So uh, it's funny. I've been I've been kind of like going back and seeing, and he's retweeting a bunch of accounts, but he himself is not tweeting. And I thought that that was kind of funny. Um, why you have a media who's obviously out here trying to do this to sort of protect Biden. And at the same time, as I've discussed on the last couple of podcast episodes, you have, several articles, one from New York Mag, one from Jonathan Chait, one from Politico, and one from Vanity Fair coming out talking about Republicans are getting ready to shut out the media and shut out journalists from events and debates and interviews and what have you. And this is primarily a shot at uh, Ron DeSantis, although I would argue that there's there's a few others that are practicing this as well, but he's certainly the target on this. And what's interesting is you have these two things happening where you have our, our journalists and our media trying to redefine a recession right out in the open front of everyone's eyes, which is basically taking direction from the white house to do so at the same time, wondering why Republicans are basically treating them like mushrooms by feeding them shit and keeping them in the dark from now on. And it, it's funny how these two things are happening simultaneously and have come together simultaneously. And uh, you had today recently, Jack Schaefer from Politico who, um, I generally think, for the most part, he kind of hits all sides. He's, he's definitely a lib guy, but he, uh, he he can be pretty harsh on both the political left and uh, people in the media on certain topics. And he kind of gave the ultimate passive voice. You know, you don't you don't want to shut us out because you know you're going to need to get your side of the stories out, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, this was met by just kind of howls and tweets and laughs by people like me in my position where I say that it is long overdue to start behaving this way towards these people. Um, they've really kind of in the summer of 2020 uh, when, you know, riots are happening, buildings are burning down, and we're being gaslit to our faces that these are just mostly peaceful uh, protests, things of that nature. And um, we've seen this behavior progress and progress and progress and progress and progress and progress. And, progress. and I, you're seeing kind of a new breed of both GOP strategists and comms people who have come up on Twitter and on social media. Now um, younger people, Christine Peshaw comes to mind and a few others who understand the rules of the game now. And again, you have kind of a passive voice media saying, you know, you, you don't want to do this. You, you know, you, you don't want to do this or else we're going to, I guess, accuse you of murdering gays and women. And we're going to start smearing you. And uh, I just think the attitude now is go ahead and write the piece you're going to write anyway. We don't care anymore. We don't really need you. We have social media. We have YouTube. Uh, we have press conferences. We have things of this nature to where um, this this idea of gatekeeping is uh, turning out to be a, something that looks like it could go extinct. They're gonna, They're going to kind of keep clawing their way onto it. And uh, they're gonna kind of keep putting up this attitude of you know they they bully you, bully you, bully, you, bully, you, bully you, and then you pin- you punch back and then they go crying to the teacher. That's kind of what this feels like. But it was real interesting to see them simultaneously writing about um, you know how dare Republicans shut us out at the same time that even at these same outlets they were openly redefining what a recession is to uh, blunt the damage that it does to Joe Biden's presidency. The other good one today was, the uh, North Korean-like Politico piece that came out. It took three people to write this. Somehow, some way, Joe Biden is back in the game. After enduring a brutal year, Biden is suddenly on the verge of a turnaround that the White House believes could salvage his summer and alter the trajectory of his presidency. That's a real tweet from Politico about a real uh, piece that is titled Biden enters the always-be-closing phase of his first term. And you wouldn't know to read this piece. Joe Biden is currently at 31% approval. 70% of the country poll says the country's on the wrong track. 75% of the voters in his own party, according to CNN, want a new uh, nominee in 2024. And this piece was written on the day uh, where our second quarter numbers were released to where we've officially entered an economic recession under Joe Biden. And so, again, all of these things are written at the same time that the press is openly wondering why Republicans are deciding to shut out certain journalists from, again, events and debates. Uh, I also think that pulling out of the Presidential Commission for Debates was long overdue. And there was a little bit of a debate happening on Twitter by someone I know, Jeff Blahar, about uh, how Romney's treatment by the media in 2012 is what ultimately a circumstance that led to the right just throwing their arms up in the air and saying, OK, we're going to go with the joker now. We're going to go with the guy we don't can't completely understand. And that was an interesting debate. It was an interesting uh, recall down memory lane for some of those people. And, of course, the Candy Crowley debate moment, I think, was uh, one of those moments, if you were around, where certainly someone like me just went, that's it. You know, Um, you have a debate moderator stepping in, putting her uh, thumb on a very large scale and uh, essentially false fact checking during the middle of the debate. What she fact checked Romney on, she actually got wrong on. And we never heard from her again. But that was kind of a point of no return moment for a lot of people. And so I want to get your feelings. I threw out a couple of topics on this, obviously, recession, obviously, what the media's, you know, threatening Republicans and the political right with. Um, and then, of course, what we saw, um, what led to this with the media and what we saw, the treatment of, you know, Romney and things of that nature. So any of those topics that are on your mind. Uh, we'll probably go hopefully for just about an hour tonight. We'll keep it kind of short. We always sometimes run over, but we'll see. Um, if you're if you're new to this, just remember you have uh your microphone is muted, and so when you when I call you up to the queue, whatever, just unmute your microphone. Um, we should be able to hear you okay. And all that I ask is that uh, you're mindful of people in the queue behind you. Um, and I'm pretty open to anything. You can ask questions. You can do comments, your own thoughts. Um, I, I don't really do a lot of policing here, so, uh, but just keep in mind that there's other people probably in the queue and we try to get to, uh, to everybody. So with that, uh, we'll just get going so everybody can kind of get off. We'll probably go into, we'll try to go until about 10 after, uh, the hour here, uh, for you, again, you East Coast degenerates. Uh, I recognize Faye, so I'll just let you, uh, unmute and take it away.
1: Good evening. I feel bad crashing the degenerate call, so I'll try to... No, you're you're one of us. It's okay. (laughs) Oh, I I feel better then. Um, Google Google gobble one of us. You're all one of us. (laughs) Just, I guess, an an interesting comment... Um, well, I don't know if the comment's interesting, but a point of interest related to the the messaging around what's going on in the country and the recession. I think, you know I've mentioned multiple times I work for the federal government in a capacity in which I have to interact with the the different ledge shops and, and White House policy councils a lot, and we've actually been hearing um, myself with people at other agencies sort of getting, um, I'm not going to call them marching orders, but let's say they were suggestions from the White House that now would be a good time to start messaging all the good news you, stories. You have got the memo, so <laughs> to speak. Yeah. Uh, well, there was an actual memo, so um, that, you know, we're being encouraged to talk publicly about all the good news stories to, to counteract all the negative press and attacks I'm um, on this administration, which has done so much for so many historically underserved. When you people. get that memo, so-
0: when they say push out good stories, are they talking on social media? Are they talking to uh, contacts in journalism? So someone like you when you're getting the memo saying, be sure to push the good stories about Biden. Who are they asking you to push that stuff to?
2: So
1: I just toss it to our comms shop, but we do have like our, in our, it's different in every agency too. In our agency, um, it would be from our our commissioner, like she posts our, our blogs. Um, We have like a blog that's public facing. And so, you know, it's understood that she's going to post something there that we have to check in with the white house on. There are others who will directly call um, journalists and speak with them, but you know, use of social media is a big one also. And the common thread really is that like they just want us to talk about their efforts, again, in the area of transgender things, because there's so many bad news stories, even at the functional level of agencies, um, that we can't talk about. So this is kind of, I mean, it, I thought it was funny. I didn't share the fact that I thought it was funny, but they want us to keep pushing all these efforts related to... Um, assisting transgender people. And you, know, you probably recall, I think it was back in May, there was this like big coordinated effort across all agencies to talk about what they're doing. Um, and we were supposed to add a category X to one of our applications for the public. And um, the good news story that we had to share with the White House is that we literally don't have money to do it. We have to stop it because we're so strapped in our budget for the coming year. And we're, we're an agency that has many public facing offices. And we've got like two-year backlogs of people who need to come see us. And they're only allowing 10 people in at a time because, of course, they're still following 2020 CDC guidance. And you've literally got people who are camping out 12 o'clock at night um, to get into a field office when it opens and get an appointment. So, yeah, getting a lot of good press there. But we're so strapped for funds that we had to like, cut a bunch of projects um, that weren't related to essential funding. And one of them um, is this like adding this category X to applications. So they're, they're like losing it over the white house. I thought it was funny, but I guess the bottom line is it's, it's tragic slash tragic comic that they have literally nothing else to promote because not only are they failing at a policy level and, you know, pursuing legislation now that's going to mean more work for which agencies are underfunded, but they can't even let the agencies or help the agencies function for their core missions. So Basically, they're they're messing everything up from top to bottom.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of uh, uh, country enters economic recession. Trans individuals hardest hit.
1: <laughs> yes, um, they won't be telling that good news story. But so everyone is like you know, literally, you know, in a that's panic. coming to
0: Slate or Vox. That piece is coming saying. Then no. we can
1: acknowledge there's a recession, <laughs> right?
0: Exactly. It'll say. Uh, it, the country is uh, on the cusp of a recession. Uh, h- how this will affect BIPOC and trans individuals the most. And and we're going to get those pieces and uh, they, they just absolutely won't let go of that no, no matter what.
1: So, yeah, I know you've got a queue, so I won't stay on much longer, but just to let you know a little peek behind the curtain is that things are as messed up as you might anticipate and and possibly more. But, you know, at least everyone's getting their their marching orders to uh, promote Dear Leader.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's what, three people left in that comm shop and they got to stay busy somehow because they don't stay busy with him. Um, but it, it, it's interesting to me that, like you, you said, they, they, they send out the memos and say, you know, uh, just to let you know, I mean, push that Biden got over COVID. That's a good one. We, let's go with that one today. Cleaned his plate. Or, yeah, I, I he, say... like a big boy cleaned his plate. He held it up and showed it to us. Um, yeah, uh, just uh, the, again, the hoops that they're jumping and, and I've seen things, and you certainly can attest to this, where they can sp- you can spin things in politics. You can you know you can spin certain things. You can change tax increase to tax revenue, and that'll go over some people's heads or whatever. But you really can't spin you know, someone, you know, putting $70 worth of gas in their car, and you can't spend higher cost of groceries, and you can't spend, you know, if someone's 401k is tightening up. That's just, uh, that's what I guess is so funny to me and how brazen they just decided to go and do this and say, Oh, no, we're not in a recession. And my, I, you know, I said, someone read on my podcast today, and because I, I was thinking this today, what happens when we hit third quarter of of negative growth. And they still go, no, that's not a recession. Not at all. No, Uh, because it's job growth that's still going on. And there was also a great tweet from one of these economists today where they said, you know, if you take away inflation, the job market's growing pretty. And it's just it's incredible to just watch happen in real time. And they have to know when they see, you know, trollish shit posters like me who I can direct a very large amount of people to that person's Twitter mentions... They have to know, like, this isn't working. They just have to look at that, especially with how glued online these people are. It's just it's it's insane clownery to me. And like I said, you see the same people pushing this out there and Paul Krugman's and whatever. Um, it's it's just it's it's I guess it's funny to me to watch happen in real time. And then at the same time where you have journalists saying, gosh, why are Republicans not talking to us?
1: Yeah, I'll close with just one uh, anecdote that you might find funny. We're dealing with um, advocacy groups who have a stake for you know the people we represent. And the, the we were in a meeting where one guy was just, be- he was an attorney representing the group, particularly obnoxious. And I found that his name sounded familiar. And I realized he's Ron Klein's brother. Um, and so there was just this heavy implication every other minute, like, if you don't do what we want, we're going to run to the White House. It was like, I hope we can resolve this between us. So Ron Klain has a brother equally obnoxious, and I had to bite my tongue from saying, "Well, if you can tear him off Twitter long enough to help you, you know, good luck." That's
0: so, great. I didn't know he had a brother. That's wonderful. There's two David of them. Stated. Yes,
1: <laughs> there's two cool. of them. So, anyway, right. that's
0: it. Thank you. Yep. Faye always loved the information, and I don't ever ask. I don't ever like ask Faye too much uh, thing because I like I like the the shady anonymity of uh, of trying to figure out what departments and stuff she's talking about. We're pretty good around here. Rob, uh, same thing, same topics, whatever. Uh, I'm going to try to speed through people here. Not not much to set up. Uh, what are your thoughts on what I brought up, what you've heard, what you've seen as far as all of this goes?
3: Um, pretty much uh, just the standard, uh, you know, a- a- expectations now of, of just how the media just absolutely, uh, you know, tarnishes Republicans. Uh, warranted or not. Um, and, uh, I did want to just, uh, bring up a little, uh, topic from an older podcast. You had talked about, uh, journalists not asking Georgia, uh, primary voters why we selected, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene in the first place. Um, and I'd love to share, uh, with you that, um, because uh, I figured, uh, you know, might br- bring up a little bit of insight on how we th- thought about that election, um, as well as maybe a couple of mistakes that her primary opponent made.
0: Yeah, sure. Go ahead.
3: All right. Well, basically, during the primary, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was pretty quiet uh, as far as, uh, you know, being in, in ads and whatnot. Um in fact the only person I saw running ads was her major opponent um, a neurosurgeon by the name of John Cowan and John Cowan definitely took to the YouTube ads um, which is where I get most of my my video content from I don't really watch television otherwise um, so uh, I you know got flooded with a bunch of John Cowan ads and instead of John Cowan saying hi I'm a you know neurosurgeon and a you know, a business uh, owner is, you know, running my own practice or whatnot, it was, uh, I will make sure that Nancy Pelosi never takes away your shotgun. And uh, to me, I just thought, oh, God, I don't want another Trumpist. Uh, This guy is obviously, you know, going the, the Trump way of you know, yeah, we're, we're good old boys and, you know, screw Nancy Pelosi. And I just thought, I don't want this. So, uh, you know, funny enough, Marjorie Taylor Greene was actually the more uh, disciplined one when it came to uh, the primary running. Uh, and then, of course, you know, the moment the primary election is over and she's chosen, then the, then the media is like, oh, by the way, she's queuing on batshit crazy. Uh, which is lovely information I would have liked to have heard yesterday, uh, you know, you know, like the Adam Sandler uh, quote. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's why, uh, you know, I, I voted for her in the first place. Um, uh, and uh, this primary, I did not vote for her to stay. But, uh, obviously, she won, like, 84% landslide uh, in the primary. But uh, on the other hand, uh, because of how the media has treated her and the fact that uh, you can't really get a libertarian on the ballot in Georgia for anything outside of a statewide or nationwide uh, position, um, she, uh, I will more than likely be voting for her in November uh, simply just as a screw you to all the people who – uh, have said, you know, we're going to remove her from her responsibilities of Congress. And to me, that's my responsibility. And even though I did my best to exercise that responsibility during the primary, come November, uh, I'm going to be like Slim Pickens, uh, you know, riding the bomb on the way down if (laughs) if all hell breaks loose.
0: How is she viewed down there in your district? Is it, is it, is it the image that kind of the media gives her and that, I mean, a lot of people on the right give her Um, I'm, I'm certainly not a a biggest fan of her. Um, But what, what is, how, how is she, at least according to you, that you see, how is she viewed down there in the district? Is it kind of like you where it's kind of like, you know what, I'm voting for the nutball just to keep the dem out. Or is, is she genuinely liked down there by people is, do they think that she gets a raw deal from the media um and you know going back to what you said about how they tried to keep her off of a ballot that was com- I mean completely unconstitutional and uh, even even you know conservative writers who don't like her I think it was like Dan Dan McLaughlin and National Review was one and a few others and that's that's also the point of view I didn't really comment a ton on it but. Um, that was also my point of view as well of, you you know, to try and keep her off of a ballot when there's no, you know, she didn't have a criminal probe. There's nothing of that. You just, you said she, she participated in a coup and it's like, well, no, she didn't. <laughs> but um, so, I mean, so yeah, what, what, how is she viewed down there? Is it a little, is it a little bit of everything or what's your general
3: sense on that? Um, yeah, I'd say the general sense is, you know, now that we, you know, have seen, you know, the Q and on post, we're like, yeah, she's crazy. We, you know, probably should have picked Cowan instead in the first place. Um, but uh, you know, but seeing that, uh, you know, just seeing how everyone's wanting to dogpile on dogpile on her, uh, you know, even even if much of it is justified, just the fact that there's unjustified dogpiling as even a, a fraction of that uh, definitely, you know, makes us kind of stand up and on edge and say, you know what? We put her here for a reason. She represents us and uh, you know, fuck you to anyone who, uh, who wants to take away our representative. Uh, we're going to put, you know, choose our representative at the ballot box. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's probably the, the, the major uh, sentiment uh, I would, I would say uh, from around here. Do you, do you think that she's like a liability to the party as you get into,
0: as we get into election seasons? And, um, and, and I will say she, she is at least, at least from what I can see, I don't go hunting clips of her, at least toning down a bit of the crazy as of late. Um, I know she just spoke at the TP USA conference. I didn't watch any of that. Um, it looked like the hunger games to me. Um, but do you view her, like you said, it's just kind of like, fuck you. She represents us. And you know what? Like DC media can't do any of this, whatever. Um, do you view her as someone who could become a liability as it comes to elections? We talk about how Republicans are going to, uh, start shutting out members of the media. And she's certainly one of those people that's going to run with that strategy. And I, I would argue that she's, you know, one of those people that they already talk about with that, um, but do you view her as someone where you do have more media savvy politicians? You, you can argue somebody like Ron DeSantis or a few others. And do you think that she's a liability to that strategy?
3: Um, yeah, ironically, I would say no, unless um, she really starts, uh, you know, amping up more, uh, you know, the, you know, the Trump. The, the white, na- uh, we're you know, a, we should be election. a Christian
0: national party, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're definitely very much uh, a socially conservative uh, district, even if I am pretty much a straight line libertarian on, on most positions. Um, uh, you know, I, I voted libertarian pretty much down the line uh, on races uh, where there is one on the ballot um, and then general, you know, almost exclusively Republican uh, for the about uh, races that don't have a libertarian on the ballot uh, in Georgia, um, uh, since uh, you can't even get a write-in vote uh, to be official unless that person has as uh, you know petitioned the uh, Secretary of State's office beforehand, which is a bit of bullshit. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, generally speaking, uh, you know, I, I I feel like yeah, she's a bit you know, a little too hardcore on the uh, social conservative stuff that I don't, you know, don't really, you know, jump on the the uh, boat for. But uh, generally speaking, as long as she doesn't, uh, you know, ca- kamikaze Georgia like Trump did with uh, the election fraud nonsense, uh, I don't see her as a liability, uh, at least not to us. Um, and perhaps uh, having... a a token Republican to take as much of the flack uh, from uh, the national media uh, compared to others might not necessarily be a bad thing that it kind of takes attention away. Uh, Assuming that she doesn't go for higher office, like the nightmare scenario you you, uh, uh, proposed uh, the uh, other night, um, I don't think uh, she'll do anything uh, beyond uh, running for Congress. Uh, I don't think uh, the Senate or, uh, heaven forbid, Trump's VP pick, uh, you know, of course, if she did pick Trump's GOP pick, uh, I'm already grabbing the cowboy hat and getting the saddle fitted for the bomb because, uh, yeah, uh, that's that would be craziness. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't really see her as much of a liability. Uh, assuming that uh she doesn't uh cost other races in in Georgia uh which is obviously something that Trump uh very well might do again
0: uh I'll ask you one last one a fun one and then I'll let you go uh you you've just been elected president and you have to appoint her to a cabinet position which one are you giving her
3: um goodness gracious Um, I would say, uh, secretary of the interior, uh, uh, just, just, uh, considering that might be the most benign, uh, post that I could think of
0: for just one where she, one where the, the, the media complete, completely, uh, forgets about her kind of thing.
3: Yeah, I, I would definitely do that. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. I would, you know, of course, you know, um, I, I'm the kind of person who'd want to get rid of a lot of uh, departments. So maybe appoint right. her to that first, and then start the uh, calling of uh, of cabinet positions uh, thereafter. But uh, yeah, she's a little yeah, bit yeah, expert on
0: space want. lasers. We could make her head of space force. That would be good. Oh um, God, that would be duh. fun. Yeah, get get her in one of those uniforms, and she has like those monster calves and whatever. And that, yeah, just put her, just go ahead and do that for her. Uh, Rob. Thank you for your thoughts on on this. I like I like this topic out of left field. So let's hopefully one day we don't get Space Force Commander Marjorie Taylor Green.
3: All right, thanks, Stephen. Cheers. Cheers, Rob. Uh, looks like all my names. Dis-
0: oh, there he is, Ben. Uh, same thing, Ben. Or open topic, whatever. Like I said, we're doing late night drag party here.
2: Yeah, I just got a couple of points. First one on the media. Um, I find it constantly bizarre that they can't think longer than a news cycle uh, because let, let's take it at face value that two negative quarters of GDP growth is not a recession. Uh, what if it's three? So are, are they going to be in a position where they need to argue in three months' time, about a month before the midterms, that no, three months of negative GDP growth or 3 causes of negative GDP growth isn't a recession Uh, because that's what I think they're setting themselves up to do. Yeah,
0: that was my – again, somebody on my my podcast brought that up, and that was one of my first thoughts today as well, which is you're absolutely right that this is an administration that just – they play the current thing. They play the current news cycle and how can we get out from it or spin away from it and that's why it always feels like they're going from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. There's just there's no foreshadowing at all with this administration that generally has to do with the people in charge of it. Um, and a, a few people have brought up this point, And I think it, I think it's a good point is, yeah, what happens if quarter three we shrink? Do they just admit it and say, OK, now we're in recession or whatever. Well, I don't think they're going to do that. So then, you know, you have to know that probably in their comm shop or in their economic shop, you know, Klein and, you know, the old man and probably Susan Rice are saying they're already working that. They're already game. They're already shopping that one and saying, OK, how can we how do we figure this out if we hit three quarters? Um, you know, I guess if I always look at things like this and I say, if it was me and I just had to go out there and do this, how would I do that? Well, you you would hope that job growth doesn't slow down because that's the only thing right now, keeping this administration from like a full implosion on this talking point. But as you know, if we enter in a recession, job growth is going to slow down and then you just hope to God it doesn't retract and that people don't start losing jobs and businesses don't start closing. Um, but that's how I think I would spin that as I would say, you know, we still have robust job growth and uh, the stock market looks da da. And then, you know, of course, the second they do that, it just craters. Um, But yeah, it really is. You're absolutely right that they just, they they govern by news cycle and they govern by what they see online. And you're right. And that's how you get this administration, which always just feels like it's Sideshow Bob stepping on the next rake.
2: Yeah. um, And just the other point I've got in relation to kind of how Republicans are now not realizing they need the media. Um, What I think they've learned from Trump is not, that you can fight back against the media, but that you don't need the media. So, because Trump would, you know, he'd slander and smash the media, but he would always talk to them. You know, he took more questions than any president I can remember. He'd yeah. sit down with anyone. Um, but so it's not that he taught them to tell the media to fuck off. I think what he taught them was you don't need the media to be successful uh, and to make it, uh, you know, in politics these days as a Republican.
0: Yeah. You have to take into effect his name ID and his wealth. And, you know, he's what he's one. I mean, he's one of the most well-known Americans that's ever lived. And that's just a fact. It's not, has nothing to do with a personal opinion of the guy. He just, he is. And, you know, going back to, you know, I, I, I grew up kind of through the eighties. So Trump was always just that weird dude at the, at the boxing matches who also did pizza commercials with his wife. That's kind of who Trump was to me. And then, of course, you had, you know, 90s, 2000s era Trump with The Apprentice and stuff like that. So he's someone who just very rarely do you have someone like him with that kind of name ID and that kind of status. He, You know, Trump had been asked about running for president back in the late 80s by Oprah, for fuck's sakes. And so he's on a kind of a special plane where I think you're right, where he's someone that just didn't need he didn't need, you know, the media and stuff. He used Twitter in his own special way to kind of go around them. And, you know, not every candidate is, you know, as fortunate as him to have that, you know, that name ID. So there are going to be candidates that might struggle if they take on media. But it's also something where if they do it right, people are going to pay attention. And that's where the difference, I think, comes from Trump, which is Trump is like just a fire hose of shit spraying over everyone at one time at everyone in the room. And, you know, it's just kind of like duck behind the chair. As opposed to someone who has a a decent grasp of the issues, the policies, the facts, and they're aware of what is being said already about them. So they're prepared at a press conference to, you know, disassemble what they're what that's trying to do. And a a great example of that was the 60 Minutes hit on DeSantis, where, you know, DeSantis is still the only governor in the entire country that got attacked for vaccinating people. (laughs) That was essentially... You know, sixty minutes hit piece, and he knew, and he knew that sixty minutes was there, and he knew what they were going to do, and he had his, and he had his information in front of him, and he just knew it. And I, I think that that is probably that kind of, you know, precision moving forward is probably the way that you're going to see how that happens. But um, this isn't like a huge strategy that's being deployed. It's just, again, DeSantis was kind of the target of these three pieces that came out and then they were just kind of talking about them in broad strokes about, you know, being journalists were kept out of the Florida GOP convention. And I think, uh, Peshaw's answer was, you know what, sorry you guys didn't get get to come in and do your snark tweeting and, and your hit pieces, so I think she said, go enjoy a margarita and some kickboxing and just go write the piece you were going to write anyway. And I, 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 gen, I generally think that that's kind of the correct attitude to have, is you just you don't, you don't give these people the time of day and you just say, look, go write what you're going to write, because it doesn't matter if you have me on the record for it or anyway.
2: Yeah, no, I'm oh, So thanks. Oh. There we go. Yeah, I got you.
0: Sorry about that.
4: Oh no problem. No, I was just wanting to talk. I guess I got a few things, but well, I won't be long. But I, I'm a loan analyst in the Memphis area, kind of southeast. I'm deep south, so I will say that they can try to try to spend the recession as much as they want. And I'm on the younger end. Like I, have, I didn't experience '08. I was sheltered by being in college, but came out. And I've done a lot of studying it and everything. And you know, I look at numbers every day. I deal a lot with real estate, and that's a problem they're not going to be able to get away from. The housing market's about to go through a very large correction, just because affordability. You know, there's a lot of new construction. I don't want to get too technical with it all, but that's a storm that's brewing that hasn't really hit the market yet, or really fully affected people yet.
0: Yeah, there was there was um, a uh, there was a piece about. the the top three states where home selling prices are like falling is it was Idaho, Colorado, and Utah. And it really goes into the fact that like people who were, you know, planning on selling their house next year or towards the end of this year are now just trying to unload it before, you know, the fit really hits the sham before the end of the year.
4: Yep. That's right. And uh, it hadn't hit here yet, but it's one of those delayed reactions. It's just a slow burn and to speak on the jobs report. If you really dig through the jobs reports that have been coming out, it's not new people finding jobs or going back to work. It's people getting second jobs. Like that's the majority of the workforce. So that can't last long either. So they can't keep hiding behind a jobs report demand because you're going to start seeing large companies lay off people like you already have in tech and everything. Um, So that's that's going to be interesting over the next few months because if they print a negative third quarter, that's going to be – that's gonna be shit everywhere, all over the place. how so. How do you see, how do you see it playing
0: out right now in what you do in in, in your industry and, and what you said a lot, like you process loans and stuff. Do you, what pattern is there? Something is there? Things that you see jumping out that you didn't used to that you kind of go, oh, okay, here's here's this indicator, here's something that doesn't look good here. Here's like what when you see something, what what are things that make you kind of perk up and go, oh, wait, shit, that's
4: not okay, that's not good. Or what's
0: what's what's a pattern that you're
4: seeing? So, what I'm seeing right now to give you context for over the past two years, you know, you've been able to make a killing if you've been able to buy a house and sell it, you know, just because the values have been going up, 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 up. And that includes new construction, existing homes. Those two have been kind of correlated together. Right now is what, and they always talk about how you have low inventory, low inventory, low inventory. And that's kind of going away. You're starting to see inventory grow. That's your first sign. The next sign that I really focus on is if you wanted to build a house today and it appraises for X, which banks do when you start building a house, even before it's built, that you have to get it appraised of what it would be worth today if it was completed. Well, what we're about, about to see over these next, I think over the next 30 days, I think one has already come in, which I'm expecting more to keep coming in. Is that what it appraised for six, seven months ago is appraising less for what it is today while your costs are still high? So you're putting a lot of people in a jam here to where at closing, when they try to close on their house, they're going to have to find more liquidity to meet to get a mortgage because a mortgage will only allow them X amount, especially if you're not a first time home buyer. So you're running into a value issue now because the demand is slowing.
0: And oh, come on, sorry, my my mute button's being uh, janky again. And and how long do you see, or how long do you think that this lasts before it starts to recover and rebound? Just per,
4: just personal uh, opinion. Invest- uh I mean, I'd say give it a good six to twelve months of a good healthy correction. I don't see it collatin. This there, I'm not. And granted. I'm no magician here, but you know I don't see an '08 type of disaster. I just see a very healthy correction. Yeah,
0: don't, don't, we won't we won't hold you personally should that happen.
4: <laughs> this is not we're, financial advice to go short mortgage <laughs> yeah, bonds or anything like let's, that. Let's let's <laughs> clarify that. Let's let's
0: <laughs> let's let's make sure that we're all clear, just so you know we don't all track you down and. and I could just say
4: you when everything is euphoric, start looking at what's going to happen in a bad way, in a reverse way. There's always a mean reverse in everything. So, I I mean, I'd give a good six, 12 months to really think the thing that worries me is like, I mean, I'm working the Memphis market, which is a heavy investor market, which means they just go up and buy smaller single family units or even large ones, too. And there's a lot of liquidity still sitting on the sidelines for investors waiting for prices to dip. And they're going to go scoop those up like uh I think Bloomberg reported this or something, but BlackRock's got like over $500 billion just sitting aside, ready to go scoop up. Uh, when the housing market corrects a lot, they're going to go up there and just scoop up like small rental units, apartments that are distressed. And that's going to – I mean, that's another thing that prices a lot of people out. Like you get an investor with cash, they'll sell that house before like someone like my age, like late 20s, early 30s, they get – you know, bit out really quick, so that's causing another problem.
0: Uh oh, well that that's wonderful. Do you have any closing thoughts now that you've just scared the living shit out of every single person in the room?
4: <laughs> uh, I'll give you some. Uh, now, while well, I was the bad, I'm gonna at least give you two good things real quick. Uh, my age, kind of my age group, my my friends' dads, my dad. You know, they were. Uh, live or die with Trump and all this stuff. Cause I'm, I'm picking it back on what you wrote about today. Cause I'm like, I actually can understand. Like I I see that happening. Um, my parents' age and stuff like that. Like they just do or die with Trump. Well, that's stopping. Like I was speaking to some people that were in their sixties and late fifties. And, you know, they're like, man, I'm just tired of the guy. We need someone fresh, young, things like that. So, I mean, and I'm talking about deep South here to where, you know, it's, MAGA country everywhere and I I'm not a Trump fan uh funny to watch what he did but man good gosh it just got annoying but it is pretty interesting to start seeing that tide shift because I never thought that would happen for my parents some of the parents that I knew and so that's that's encouraging
0: yeah i know i know older people as well that are in that boat who they voted for they voted for him twice and now they're just kind of like nah we we, nah, we don't want to go do this again um and they were pretty diehards as well and you know i mean my thing today is i'm just making an observation where i'm just like as i said and i said on the podcast that you have to erode his support or his support has to leave him and nothing, nothing, any outside force is really going to do as far as uh, a political opponent. So there's there's nothing that say Liz Cheney, for instance, is going to say that's going to erode any support of him. Um, at least not majorly. Th- th- there'll be some voters who are like, yeah, I just don't want to. I, I, I just don't want to hear about January 6th anymore. And. Um, But as far as like Democrats beating him in an election, well, that's not going to work because he didn't go away there. He didn't lose support there, um, which is odd to me. You know, Trump's post-election losing after one term, uh, it's it's fascinating to see how, you know, his supporters didn't just kind of dump him right there and go, dude, you lost to fucking Biden. Um, but they just—they saw him as a guy who just kept fighting, and he kept fighting, and he's still fighting, he's still fighting, he's still, fighting he's still fighting, he's still, he's still, he's still. Fox, please stop fighting, sir, please yeah, just um, stop. <laughs> and so, like I said, I—my I, observation is that you know there has to be. An alternative to him, and that alternative cannot be a Democrat. And, and, it's, it, and it's not going to come in the form of Bill Crystal, or David Frum no. or The Atlantic or The Bulwark or The Dispatch. It's not going to no come in the form of No neocon douchebags. Yeah. Him. Yeah, it's, it has to happen in the form of uh, his support sees a better option, and that's it. And I'm not advocating anything. I'm not saying that, you know, this is what I want to happen. I I personally don't want to go through another four years of him. Um, He he did some good. He did some bad. He did a lot of bad. Um, But I just, I don't, you know, I I, I don't have the gray hairs to do it anymore. Um, But that's, I I also know how to remove myself and look at, you know, look at a situation. And Trump's not my professional or political identity. And that's another thing that I, I wrote about is, these people need him a lot of a lot of paychecks dry up when he leaves and if you don 't think that this you know save democracy crew is is doing this uh you, you look at who 's gotten book deals since this you you look at who 's you know making money off super PACs and who 's still getting donations and and who 's getting television hits Did, i don 't think anybody really knew who Tim Miller was outside of Twitter and the r n c Until all of this. And now he's an author. He's got a book deal and a lot. There's a lot of money tied up in him, whether they want to admit it or not. And, you know, that's why they can't be the ones to make him go away, because a lot of their airtime will go away. There was a piece in Vanity Fair today about how a lot of the never professional, never Trump stuff is turning into never DeSantis and they're trying to, you know, Charlie Sykes is on record calling National Review a DeSantis fanzine now, and it's just laughable. And the reason, that's a very calculated decision where, you know, some of us who didn't vote for him, it's it's the messenger is flawed. He's the messenger, and I, we just don't like him. That doesn't mean we're going to go suddenly run to line up on Joy Reid's show.
4: But Yeah, we a lot of people, Will Archer didn't. up like Tom Nichols, you know. But <laughs> Yeah,
0: you know. Um, I, I just, I hope one day he walks again. Um, yeah. But that's my point. Wow, the, there's, there's a yeah. lot of careers wrapped up in keeping him in the spotlight. And that's why last, you know, last podcast I, or the last one of these I did, I went to CNN's homepage and I counted 12 stories of Trump right off the homepage. And th- this is a very calculated decision. And no one wants him to run again more than those people. And that's, of course, the trap which is, you know, you say, you know, country first, country over party, save democracy. Um, but the bottom line is Trump running again would be very, very good for all of them personally and financially. So I'll let you uh, give us some last thoughts here.
4: Now, I'll leave you with a uh, heard, like you, you spoke of CNN and stuff like that, that, you know, I just want to know if your your personal training uh schedule is going to be affected with Chris Cuomo taking that new job. Oh, (laughs) jeez.
0: Yeah. I don't even know. It's it's like News Nation with uh, Dan Abrams, who Dan Abrams is okay, whatever, but I I couldn't find this, uh, and I have a pretty robust cable package. I'm not a cord cutter yet, and uh, I couldn't couldn't find this channel if I tried, and it, it is interesting to see who gets second chances and who doesn't and, you know, the justifications as for why. And, you know, pe- I mean, Chris Cuomo was fired from CNN for sexual harassment and he was fired there for several instances. And one is where Zucker covered it up. And then, of course, you had Cuomo running interference for his governor brother uh, to smear his accusers. And that happened, what, five months ago, six, six months ago that that happened? And right here, he's right. He has a new job. And, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that he's, you know, he's at News Nation. And, you know, in, in a few months, he, he, you know, he puts in, he punches the time clock there. And then, I don't know, MSNBC picks him up in a year. And we're right back here. We're right back to all of this nonsense. And so it really is interesting to see how, like, Chris Cuomo didn't face the cancellation mobs that, say, Bill O'Reilly faced. Now, Cuomo didn't, you know, have a similar situation where O'Reilly had to settle, you know, $32 million lawsuit uh, through Fox. But, it, it, I mean, it's similar circumstances. You're fired for unethical treatment and sexual harassment, things like this. And, um, you know, the media just dogpiled on O'Reilly because, of course, they don't like him. We get that. I'm not a huge Bill O'Reilly fan, but... Uh, it's interesting to see how Cuomo never really faced that cancellation. But there's a couple there's a couple editors and editor-in-chiefs of places that I've talked to who are, who are glad to see him go. But I, I would always just tell them, like, why don't you just say that then? You know, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I have my I have my personal training appointment tomorrow at like 10. So I'm hoping. So Chris Cuomo is get- not
4: your personal trainer.
0: That's what we do. No, <laughs> no, thank God. I he does he walks around the house naked and she, i you couldn 't get me to to fucking you know what chris cuomo 's personal training routine is here have a have a juiceberry morning smoothie and then he shoots up a needle full of fucking roids okay more gets, steroids yeah nobody gets that you know that tree trunk neck just by like strict working out and and It was so funny still to this day when we're going through the pandemic and we're all talking and laughing about Trump and bleach and shit like that. The only fucking person on record that we saw, like, using bleach to treat their COVID was his wife. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't, I look at when they hire, rehire someone like Chris Coleman, I just go, was there no one else out there? It was like, the, really, you couldn't find someone else. Like you just, you had, you thought, I'm going back to the well for this guy, you know, give him a second chance. And, you know, again, you could be an up and coming comms professional or a, or a radio or TV host or something. And you see that happen and you're just like, you know, this industry is just cancer. So. Well,
4: I'll let it go. But y'all, thanks again.
0: Thanks, Will. Thanks for the information, and uh, we'll make sure that we don't, you know, stake outside your house should this all go to shit real fast. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Cheers. Nice. Take care. <clears throat> we'll just speed through this. We'll go Ben, Samuel, John, and uh, if we have time, I'll do Chris and John back there. Uh, but David, you're up. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll give him a minute, uh, David. If you can't use, uh, if you're trying to unmute, just hit that mic. Just hit that little microphone icon down at the bottom there.
5: Oh, okay. Yeah, Can you hear me uh, go now? Go ahead. Oh, that's great. Okay. I'm sorry. This is my first time doing this. Uh, boy, pleasure to talk to you, Stephen, after listening to you. for, I You were on uh, with your, your buddy John, was it three, four years ago you yeah. started that? Uh... Yeah, I
0: fired him. <laughs> He's just cramping, he was cramping my... He's getting to be too old. Um, so I was just like, you know, the, the age thing's wearing off on me. So yeah, I canned him. Make way for tomorrow. That's what I say. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um,
5: no. So it's it's a it's a pleasure to finally talk to you. I, you know, unlike a lot of people that you know, a lot of uh, my friends that uh, are a bit right of center, and because of the the industry I work in, I have friends that are left of center. Although they don't quite know my leanings, um, but unlike a lot of them, I'm not as interested in kind of who's in the White House or who's kind of occupying political power, because I'm very much uh, a believer in in the Breitbart axiom that that it's that politics is downstream from culture, and that I'm much more interested in the zeitgeist, because I think politicians uh, reflect the culture. They do not, except in rare cases, transform it. They're more reflective of who we are. So I'm always just much more interested in the culture, spe- specifically right now, wokeness, which uh, drives me absolutely batshit crazy. I just think it's destroying uh discourse it's destroying storytelling, and I know you're a big film buff um it's just it's it's having a corrosive effect on every academia certainly on everything it touches and that's kind of my uh hobby horse um more than almost anything else
0: so, and I, yeah, re- real fast something about like that that I've noticed is yeah. it's it's almost reached a point now to where it is becoming parodied a lot more like you don't see the political left using it. and I know that they still use the strategy but as far as like it, the social construct around what it is is starting to become parodied more and more we just saw like bill burr rip up you know riff on it in his special I mean he's he's a normal guy but he's a pretty popular comedian and you're starting to see this kind of cringe factor even take hold on the political left where they're like they don't want to be called that they don't want it to be part of that and so I see a lot of that, and I, and I don't think it's going to go away. Don't get me wrong, um, but a, a good another a good idea is like we saw what happened with Latinx. This is a perfect one, where you know they they started to lose elections over this shit, and then they were like, oh shit, we have to stop saying this. And like I said, it's starting to reach that point where there's pushback, and it's not really coming from. You know, cultural conservatives. It's not coming from the political right because largely that's a debate that has left us out of it. We just kind of have to sit back and, you know, throw peanuts from the gallery and uh, get in our two cents. But it is kind of funny to watch. How it's starting more and more to become. Whereas five years ago, it was this, you know, stay woke was it was a saying that you know was a serious thing, and that came from D. Ray McKesson and Jack Dorsey from Twitter and Black Lives Matter and you know Ferguson and things like that. And now it's to the point to where um it, it's gotten to a point where it's like it's the cringe Lululemon, lemon you know dc white girl saying it and that you can you can just see like the political left pushing away from that they're just like no we don't we don't want anything to do with this anymore um yeah, here's the thing i
5: i hope you're right about that i i i but um, maybe just because i'm a pessimist i the only reason i'm not perhaps as optimistic as you are about this is I just see a, a, tr- a huge number of of uh, the under 25 cohort really embracing it, not necessarily being zealots, but they kind of grow up with it now. They're kind of getting it from an IV drip from the age of four on. So this is their reality. They take it most, let's say, uh, ninth graders, 10th graders, 11th graders now take it as red. They take it for granted that blacks are have a target on their backs and are being targeted by police. They take it as read that America is a systemically racist country. They just take it. They just take these things for granted because they're getting these ideas from teachers, from the media, from every point on the compass. It's just being reinforced. And so I am perhaps less optimistic than you. But for me, the formulation is this. You tell me if this Makes sense to you. The way to know if the pendulum is swinging back the other way, because I always hear from people that, oh, it's finally swinging back, and I'm always skeptical. The way I'll believe it is swinging back the other way is if you, if you or any bright person you know, like you can give me one example of this, Stephen. Give me an idea or a word that was permitted to be expressed in the 80s and 90s that became forbidden this century that is once again permitted. In other words, it went from on to off to on. One example of that, Stephen. I can't think of one.
0: So like a, like a word, like a, like an insult, like the word fag or something like yes, that? Yes, exactly right. Or an idea. It, word
5: or idea. It was, it was permitted. Then it was disallowed. There was huge social penalties for it.
0: That is once again allowed. Uh, I don't know if it's so much allowed, but... Um, I think part of that is those kinds of things just change. So you know, words, language, things of that nature that were around in the seventies the or the eighties or the nineties, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily come back like nostalgia wise, they come back, you know, like a fashion, right. like all of a sudden, you know, people are wearing fucking high waisted jeans for some reason or something. Right. I don't know. Um, but I do think those things change and I do think that they manifest differently. Um Part of part of that is, you know, what we're seeing with this pushback in in schools about gender theory. Um, so, where we see, you know teachers, public school teachers trying to push gender theory on, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, essentially like that. So it's not so much that it's, you know, we're okay to like say certain words again and things like that, because I think certain words always die out. There's words that, you know, were used in the 1900s that we don't use today. You're
5: right. No, you're right. You're right. And I know that's
0: that's not like saying, you know, that's not like saying an insult or something like that or whatever. But I just I do think that, you know, as far as pendulum swings happen, pendulum swings happen because one side just eventually naturally goes too far and we're willing to tolerate so much of it. We're willing to tolerate some of it. We're willing to tolerate. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, you're you're like trying to transition eight year olds. What? What? Like, and that's, and that right there is how the pendulum then starts to swing back. And now it's swinging all the way back to like, Mike Pence is going to end up being president and turning every public school into a gay conversion therapy school or some shit, whatever. That's, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're right. I can you're so talking about as words. Like, as far as like, as, as, as far yeah. as like a specific situation or mm-hmm. whatever, and it also depends on what you mean by being allowed, because you could see a movie, for instance, where right. I think there was even I don't know, it might have I don't know if it was Stranger Things or God, I was just watching something um, where uh, that that example that I just used where somebody like someone a, like a fucking fag or something like that. And I kind of like went, oh, wow, they they threw that in there. And I don't I don't know if it was Stranger Things. Or if it was a high school movie, but it was a movie like set back then. And they brought in the language and I was like, oh, shit, like, wow, okay. Um, so surprise, and that's not a, that's not a pendulum swing back. That's just someone who is good at writing and doesn't care about, you know, the delicate sensitivities. So it's not necessarily that things revert. I think that things evolve and, you know, like I said, we the political right tolerates so much because we have to, we tolerate the fact that most of the musicians we listen to probably hate us or the actors right. we see in movies, uh, would, you know, drop us into the ocean if they could or whatever like that. But as you've also seen how, you know what, it's like that Michael Jordan concept where Republicans buy sneakers, too, and he understood that. And that's what I mean. You're starting to see a kind of, a, a, I think, a, a pushback against that stuff. The, the film Maverick is a perfect example of that. Um, Tom Cruise is kind of a Scientologist freak, but he doesn't <laughs> seem like he holds any ill will toward any political group, despite his beliefs. Right. He, he seems like a pretty progressive guy. Um and so you take a film like Maverick, which doesn't really have any political message to it. it I mean, it, it almost did with the Taiwan patch and whatever. And it makes a gazillion billion dollars at the box office. And I, I see both sides trying to claim this film, like the political rights writing about it. It's like finally a patriotic thing. And the political left's like, you know, hey, there's a diverse cast and, and whatever. But the film itself isn't making that message. And so you, you do go through, you know, peaks, valleys, pendulum swings, culture shifts and things like that. And, you know, as, as far as where we are now, like I said, um, where there is a lot of pushback to the shit that we saw happening in public schools. And a lot of that was pandemic and it was zoom parents, you know, parents are home with zoom, their kid is zooming. And, you know, the teacher on zoom goes, okay, okay, Steven, now give me your pronouns. And, you know, the parent in the background is like, wait, what, what the fuck did you just like, Hey, come here, you know? And so that led to a lot of that. And so, you know, the, the shit of that is, is that's eventually, again, going to swing back to the heart, social right, which I already start, you know, I already see some of that happening and I'm not comfortable with some of it. Um but the other thing that you just, I mean, you have to know is this kind of goes back to also with media, with conservatives, just we're just not going to talk to you anymore. We're just, we're, you go right, go, go be Democrat op, operative comm shops. Um, you know, that's, that's an attitude that not even, I think, Andrew Breitbart thought he would ever think to see, you know, should he still be with us? And, you know, he was kind of light years ahead on that whole thing as well. But uh, just about treating these people with the absolute professional disdain that they personally think of you and we generally, you know, I don't wish any like personal ill will on journalists. I'm not asking, you know, I'm not telling people to run them down with their cars or anything. Um, but on the other hand, they are the kind of people that are like, yeah, we'd probably be better off if you were all dead. Um, and so as far as like something coming back, yeah, I mean, if you're, you can probably make a, a solid point with that, but also ideas evolve, language evolves, words evolve. Um, I think personally, when, when the midterms happen, you're going to see a lot of this shit disappear. We saw it like this with Kamala Harris. She's sitting at a table. She's never done this before. She's sitting at a table and she says, I'm Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she, her. I'm wearing a blue suit, periwinkle, Winkle, and da-da-da. And that works at like maybe that room in, to you know, an academia lunchroom. But the majority of normal people watching that just go, what the fuck was that? like like what like i said like i said on twitter like i swear she's gonna try that in debate you know when she introduces you know uh, hi vice president kamala harris thank you for having us here jay tapper um my pronouns are she her and the second she does that you're gonna pete Buttigieg judge and bernie sanders all going oh yeah my pronouns are like and but the majority of the country is just gonna go like who are these people talking to who talks like this and so that's kind of what I mean about this. This stuff becomes cringeworthy. That's a good way of putting it to where the normal country just goes, yeah, well, I don't want these people governing me. And generally it's an election that makes that stuff stop. I get, look,
5: I, 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 I again, I'm, I think I'm more of a pessimist than you. I really want you to be right about this. I know there's a lot of other people in the queue behind me. I'm a huge, obviously, I've been a subscriber, uh, a huge fan of yours, what you're doing. You are maybe are only rivaled arguably by Abe Greenwald, in your ability to perceive cultural patterns, the macro of it all. You're just brilliant at it, and uh, it's a pleasure to, to listen to you.
0: Well, thanks. Now I have now you're putting expectations on me and I don't (laughs) know, but uh, I'll I'll take it. I I like Abe, too. And um, uh, there's a few others that are out there that are really good at it. It's just it's unfortunate. Most of them kind of aren't in the mainstream of like conservative thought. But like I said, a lot of what uh, conservatives now today, this new right, you're seeing a lot of them are young man. And they they just they, they've they learned the game that people like me have been talking about for 10 years, uh, just going back to, you know, engaging online audiences, social media audiences, things like that. And um, I certainly don't take credit for that. But they they are learning. And it's what's interesting to me is all the reporters this week that talked about, you know, Republicans are starting to shut us out. These guys were all kind of like, uh 45 to 50 to 60 year old reporters and I just I kind of I kind of smirked about that. I was like, yeah, y- you know, the the road is longer for them than it is for you in front. So, um yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch to see how that plays out and like I said, I don't even think someone like Andrew Breitbart would have seen that coming one day for, you know, mainstream Republicans to just basically go tell a journalist to go eat shit and by the way, I'm posting your email on my Twitter feed. <laughs> Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks, David. Thanks for calling in. It's, it's good to hear from you. Uh, we'll take Ben here, Samuel. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll run through the queue. I will cut it off at John's. So I uh, appreciate it. If nobody else jumps in <laughs> to make my job harder, uh, Ben, go ahead. Any thoughts on what you things you've heard tonight or things you saw this week with media and obviously recession wise or how that's affecting you personally uh, take over.
6: Uh, yes, even uh, it's, it's actually nice to talk to you. Um, I was just going to call in and, um, I figured we could fight about a drag queen story hour. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, uh, I'm in finance. So the last thing I want to do is talk about the uh, recession stuff. It's just been a long day of, of, of dumb arguments. And, um,
0: but I did. Read what, there, what was the dumbest argument you heard today?
6: Um, the dumbest argument I heard today was that the, or that you got into current, the current job market, um, so somebody at my office wants to argue, and he's obviously very, very left leaning. And uh, he wanted to argue that the current job market means uh, we are not in a recession, and we won't be in a recession. The problem is the top 12 companies in the S&P have announced layoffs of anywhere from 10 to 15% of their workforce already. Um, and as as anybody who actually you know studied it at all knows, jobs are a lagging indicator; they're not a leading indicator. Um, uh, a little nugget before I go into what I wanted to talk about: um, personal, real personal income is it went from um, it went from positive fifteen percent year over year to now it's down seventeen percent year over year. So, like the tsunami wave of just like none of these companies being able to sell anything is going to hit and it's going to hit hard. And what you're probably going to see is you're going to see like a, a little recovery here, maybe into the midterms. And then when the fed turns off the spigot completely and starts quantitative tightening, uh, where they start running off this $8 trillion balance sheet, um, it could get really bad. And that, that, that really amps up in September. So, It'll be interesting. It'll be like um, that'll amp up in September. Europe will start getting cold in September. So these natural gas prices will just like completely just ruin the entire European economy. Like, I mean, Germans are already paying three times what they were for electricity and it's only going to get worse. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're we're in a recession and we might not see the backside of it for a little while. Um, That that three consecutive quarter hypothesis you have there is is a really interesting one, especially from like a messaging standpoint, because like you get to September and it starts coming in and then you're like right in front of a midterm. You're like, oh, shit, this is going to be really bad, you know, and and those, uh, you know, they say those like, you know, those you know, big elections where you see huge swings, they actually really hit like right before the election. Like you don't really realize it's gonna be a wave election till like the day before the election. And then you wake up and you're like, Holy shit. Like Arizona's gone, Nevada's gone, New Hampshire's gone, you know, Herschel Walker won by nine percent. And you're just like, What happened? <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah. what in the world? Um but I listened to your podcast today and I read your I read your uh, read your piece, and um, I I really like it because I was I was like this guy uh, who I voted for Trump because I hated Hillary, and I hated like every day of the like Trump administration. But like every day, like I just like sung myself to sleep. There was like better than it would have been if Hillary had been around, you know. Yep. Um, and now I, I I live in Florida, and I'm. So I'm like a I'm a big DeSantis guy. I see him a lot. I hear him a lot. Um and I read your piece and you know, one thing that I don't think a lot of people like realize is like, you know, maybe um a, a congresswoman who's not really from Wyoming and no one really likes her there and Jamie Raskin were probably not the two best people to run that committee, you know, and that's definitely not going to help get Trump you know like that's just going to harden people like you said you know the podcast today like people are just going to get pissed off like not because they like Trump but just because like Jamie Raskin like literally the guy you mean the guy that you know did the same thing that they are they have a committee over right now like that guy um,
0: yeah, yeah rat, rat, both Raskin <laughs> and Thompson uh, yeah. voted yeah, against what? certification of uh, Raskin in 2016 and I think Benny Thompson, uh, I might have to Google it real fast. Was 2004? Uh, yeah, it was 2004 against yeah. Bush, and that's again, again, this comes back to when I talk about our media and you talk about reporting things. Like I don't think Jamie Raskin has been asked about that by anybody, no. by Jake Tapper, no. by anyone that he sat down with, and they said, you know, in January, in my problem with January 6th, and I'll just to repeat, is that we should be looking at everything that happened that day from Trump's actions and inactions i'm fine looking at that stuff Uh, i'd like to look at you know what happened with the communication with the capitol police and why the the capitol was just kind of left with you know uh kind of a skeleton force and and i don't i don't know i'm not a conspiracy i'm not saying pelosi told him to stand i I (laughs) genuinely don't know i'd like more information on this stuff um And then we heard from Cheney. She said she's not going to look into the Capitol Police. She's not going to look into, you know, the brave men that stopped, you know, stood between, you know, our lawmakers and our coup. And as I've said, Cheney's been pretty open that this is – she she has a political goal with these hearings, and that's to stop Donald Trump from being reelected or uh, trying to steal an election, which is, as I've said – You know, if Biden keeps going down this path, Trump's not going to have to steal anything. He'll win 39 states. (laughs) Um, And once the two state that you, you you these hearings for you are a political goal. I think a lot of people just go, well, we're not going to tolerate this. We're just not going to watch or we're not going to take serious. Um, I, I've, I've listened to and, and watched a good majority of the stuff. I think most of it's been just been repackaged. Um, th- this idea that we didn't know what Trump was doing for 187 minutes. Yeah, we did. Because I was there that day. I, I, I'm i the guy that wrote right yeah. out of the gate, like Trump disappeared. Yeah. And for that, he should be impeached. Um he was eating McDonald's. In, yeah, he you know. was, just, he was <laughs> throwing spaghetti across the room or some shit. He, who knows? Um, but he did. He abdicated his constitutional responsibility that day. And like I said, they should have just impeached him. Mike Pence should have just finished out the three weeks. Yeah. And because he was essentially in charge of the Capitol anyway. Um, and, and just that should have just been that. Um, but they also there's another good question about January 6th, which was Pelosi. I mean, they could have impeached him that day. Or yeah. even the day after, and nobody nobody's asked Pelosi why she didn't do that uh, why you know she, there was a report where she she told someone in the cabinet i don 't know if it was Barr or someone said that if you don't if you don't uh start implementing the twenty fifth amendment we 're going to move to impeach him. well, neither of those two things happened, and so <laughs> It's a weird question that Pelosi's never had to answer. It's like, why didn't you move on? To, I mean, they could have done it that day. They could have just drawn him up on a napkin while they were in the bunker, like a McDonald's bag or some shit. Yeah. And then all voted on it and boom, he's gone. And it wasn't. Um, but they chose not to. And so there's there's questions like that. Where I'm like, huh, was she doing this to fundraise? Was she doing this to just show how unhinged the, the right had gotten? Is she going to make sure that Republicans just ate shit on this? So, yeah. Well, um, so I, did, I didn't mean to like go off on, on your yeah. point, but the point is you're, you're correct. When you put Raskin and Benny Thompson in charge of doing this and neither of them get a question about, well, you – I get that you're critical of Senator Hawley and Senator Cruz, but you technically did the same thing. So what was the difference? And yeah. you should at least ask the question, and they don't. Yeah, and I
6: – you know, I, I I didn't want to go off too much on it, but like you have that and then, you know, uh, you have this whole thing of they're just spending like – you know, millions of dollars on these like lunatic candidates. And you're like, is this a threat to democracy or are you guys just full of shit? Like, and so everybody sees it and they're like, well, they're just full of shit. Like everybody knows it, but like that, you know, we talk about how that hardens, you know, people around Trump. And I was just thinking about your piece today of like, I would love nothing more to, you know, get rid of Trump for him to just go away and disappear And, and being so close to DeSantis, DeSantis is, is, is the guy that I think has like a grasp of the media. And I, I, I read that article by, by, uh, was it Jack Schaefer today or whatever. And, um, you know, right after he posted that article, he, he posted a, um, he posted a, uh, like a, a hit piece on Christina Peshaw, like right after it, you know, that was written by somebody else. And I'm like, just it's just proving Steven's point. Like you're going to write this shit anyway. So why the hell would we talk to you? But the one thing I will say, and I kind of wanted to get your, your feeling on this, this. is my main point. is like how much, especially given like how well he thinks on his feet, how good of a grasp of the issues he has. Like, I think Ron DeSantis does himself some favors by, Engaging the media at certain points, and like even a sit-down interview or two, where he just like straight up would, you know, I don't, I don't mean to go like you know like full on like Ben Shapiro, but like, you know, he you know he just owns the reporter right there, like you know, yeah, I'll take this interview with this NBC reporter if you'll put me on like, you know, you know the national news, and then I'll just own you right there like how much does that do for him rather than just like completely shutting the media out? Because the one thing that would always happen is like Trump would like give these interviews sometimes and the reporter would start asking these nine questions and he, you know, didn't have a really good grasp of the issues, but he could at least shut them down and just be like, point out the hi- hypocrisy and stuff. And I think that was, that actually did more for Trump most of the time than, you know, maybe just avoiding the media completely.
0: Yeah, that's one of the passive, passive aggressive, like reverse psychology points that Schaefer makes in the piece. He's saying, you know, if you shut us out, then, you know, you're not going to give your base an opportunity to say, hey, look, look, he he actually kind of makes that point where he says, you know, you took on that reporter, you took his hard questions, you made yourself look good. He says, like, and then also, how are you supposed to say, like, Uh, If you won't talk to the New York Times, how are you going to talk to Putin? And I laughed and I said, yeah, you fucking guy said that one about Romney, too. So that (laughs) one's not going to work. So, I mean, I agree with you on that, that he should. What I said about if you're if you're a GOP poll and you're going to sit down now with somebody from Politico for an extended interview. I told them, as I said, you need to do one of two things. You need to say, "Okay, uh, I will sit down with you face to face, but I'm going to record the entire exchange. Are you okay with that? Yeah, no, know, that then you post it on your Twitter, you know, Tom Cotton posted on his Twitter feed and said right here, I agreed to do an interview. I said I had to be recorded. It had to be recorded. And they said no. So I pulled out and yeah. that will endure you, that. You know, that's something that will endear him or whatever. Uh, I, I've said that, you know, for normal people who think it's really cool to talk to reporters or get on TV or whatever. I've said if any of them come to talk to you at your job, or, and I know a lot of jobs, they refer them to HR or whatever now or whatever, um, is you get everything in writing all the time, every time you get it in writing. Uh, so if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to do an interview, uh, if you're someone like Pasha or whatever, or DeSantis, you say, sure, send me your questions and I'll take a look at them. Yeah, And that's essentially what happened with Pasha and Paul Farhi where uh, Paul Farhi was also asking her friends about like who she's dating and stuff. Like what, what <laughs> possible, why would you possibly be asking that if you're, if you're sitting here to just do a professional profile, you could have just asked her, are you married? Are you dating anyone? And then I'm like, fuck off. Like, that's not your business. What are you trying to do here? And like I said, it's, uh, and Tucker Carlson highlighted that as well. And then of course, Paul Farhi releases these quotes where he says, you know, you're accusing me of blackmail. He says, you know, I'd like to, I'd like your cooperation on this piece, but if I don't get it, then I just have to write, I guess, what I think I'm going to write. And that, that doesn't make you look good. Okay. We see what you're doing and you know, it's, it's gotten to that point to where they just really can't help themselves. They're so ingrained, especially at the Washington post, which is now just like salon.com. Now, uh, it's just run by 50 tale Lorenzes. Lorenza's, um, And, you know, she's another one. We saw the libs of TikTok where they posted the photo of Lorenz at the door and said, why are you going around to my family or whatever? The, The reporter doesn't look good in any circumstances with that stuff. So there's a difference between, you know, shoe leather and you're trying to gather facts. But you're not trying to gather facts in the exercise of learning information to pass on information that you've learned. You've already decided what the angle of your story is. No matter who you talk to, no matter what they say, no matter what responses they give, you've already decided what your story is going to be. And that's just not journalism. And, so, and that's something that I think DeSantis has called out with a lot of these people. It's like, no, you've already made up your mind. The 60 Minutes hit was a perfect example. You know, DeSantis is getting, you know, elderly, elderly people vaccinated and 60 Minutes found the angle of why are you not getting poor black people vaccinated first? Oh, the rich white people. And I think DeSantis is like, these are elderly. This is the highest you know mortality rate for this vaccine. And so they're trying to paint it as rich old people. Yeah, that's what Florida is. It's rich old white people who've retired. That's what generally it is. Yes. and it you know it's ritual white people have retired it's finance guys like you and it's a lot of Cubans okay yeah and so you sit there and try to you know paint this as you know you're you're going to your rich donors first people saw through that and so yeah I think is is and again I, I am cautioning the political right and people on the right that I, I DeSantis has made no mum whatsoever about if he's going to run in 2024 and that's something that I think both are media. And I think people on the right are getting out ahead of you, you might say, no, I'm not doing it. Like uh, I want to, f- you know, I want to finish my term in Florida here, whatever. I don't think the time is right. Yeah. And that's it. And then where is everyone? All of these hundreds of stories. Yeah. It, re- it reminds me of Chris Christie and, you know, what was it? twenty twenty twelve 2012 with Chris Christie, where that was his time and yeah. he decided not to do it. And then he, you know, put his arms around Barack Obama and gave him a big old hug. And that was the end. And so, um, it, it just—it really depends about how you engage these reporters knowing that. And, you know, he, he's just a guy, not to turn this into the Ron DeSantis hour, but he's I just know. a guy who fundamentally understands it. He gets it. And he has a team of people who are online who can say, hey, here's, what, here's what's happening today. Here's this reporter who's going to be asking this. Here's what they're talking about. And then he goes and he prepares himself. And, if, again, for some, for some reason, he's just a guy that gets it. And when you have a guy like that that gets it, and if there's going to be a presidential race, the other candidates are going to have to catch up to him. So the Tom Cottons, the Tim Scotts, the Nikki Haley's, the, the Kirstie um, those people are only going to have to be made better to keep up with him. And that's kind of the intriguing thing with me. It's not just DeSantis. DeSantis will make everyone around him better, even the people that are running against him in a primary. Right, And so – you know, people who are kind of that, you know, overly nice, someone like Nikki Haley, she's going to start to get her heart on a little bit for reports and stuff like that. And that's just going to wear off. And that's going to make everybody better, even if, you know, again, if he decides not to run.
6: Yeah. And, you know, like, I I guess it's like, you have to temper your, your hope, because like, I want Trump gone so much. And like, even like my parents who were like, big Trump people want Trump gone. And I just, I see DeSantis as the guy that has the savvy to, to do it. And I think it says a lot that like most of the people I talk to, even the ones that were big into Trump, like the base, like seems to really want to DeSantis to run. And when you see the, like, you know, you see the bulwarks and everybody attacking DeSantis is like worse than Trump. I can kind of tell they don't want him to run because they know he might get rid of Trump. It's like one of those things where they're like, Oh God, I hope this guy doesn't run. Cause if he does our meal ticket, it's gone, you know? And so I guess that's where my hope comes from, but I'm just like, he's, he's very media savvy. And I, I read your piece today. And I just kept thinking about uh, that, th- that Jack uh, Schaefer piece of like the one guy I know that could like really turn some media, you know, some inter- interviews and stuff with the media into a plus would be Ron DeSantis, even though I, I get that, you know, one of the criticisms of him is he's done, he's not very, uh, you know, uh, congenial and he's not, you know, ha- doesn't maybe have the best personality. But I guess in front of the camera, he, he gets it done. So um, I guess I'll just leave it at that. I hope we're not, you know, into the, the Great Depression uh, by the uh, next time uh, you
0: have a call in. Uh,
6: <laughs> I, it. I, yeah, we it. I
0: I won't be doing a call, and I'll be uh, I'll be snacking on one of my house pets at that point.
6: So yeah, we'll be roasting my uh, Boston Terrier over here. We'll be we'll be screwed. Uh,
0: well, uh, but th- th- thanks, even. Ben. A lot of good information. I, like I said, I like hearing from people in these industries that you know have their eyes right on what's happening. So uh, that's also a lot of helpful information. Where you're probably going to get a lot of people to empty their 401ks now. So thanks thanks again for that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, Like I said, we'll go Samuel, Chris, uh, we'll go John, Chris, John. Uh, But Samuel, give us what we saw with new polling today uh, of the of the doomerism that now seems to be setting in now (laughs) with Biden getting his climate deal. What do you think? Well, I would just say I didn't really call to talk about polling, but I would just say Fox.
7: I know that, you know, not everybody on the right loves Fox, but, you know, they're better than the alternatives. But in reality, their polling is pretty shitty. They had like, I don't remember what it was. I I don't remember what exactly it was. I don't have it pulled up. But they had some pretty ridiculous 2020 numbers, I know. I think they had Ohio going red. I think they had Florida up by like four for Biden. They had some, so, and the thing about the, I'm, I'm thinking mainly about the Pennsylvania Fox polling, where it's like, Forty-seven, thirty-six, Fetterman—I think—is what it was. The idea that Oz would get thirty, or yeah, thirty-seven percent is just ridiculous. That's—it's just that he hasn't, still hasn't consolidated the GOP base. And but at the end of the day, when they go to the polls, and they will go to the polls, they're not going to vote for Fetterman. So, and I don't remember—I retweeted somebody. Um, they posted. Um, they were looking at the 2021 uh, Virginia and New Jersey polls of Chitterelli and Yunkin versus Murphy and McAuliffe summer versus fall. And in the summer, they all had McAuliffe and Murphy up by almost double digits, if not double digits. And then as we got more into the, po- uh, the fall, the polls got closer. Um, they actually did, end up being pretty accurate with Yunkin, but they were still really far off with Cittarelli, even though he did close the gap for a good bit. So again, I I just don't think we should overreact to a poll where a candidate from a major party is getting 37%. I mean, where is that happening? You know, Chuck Grassley has won like seven terms in Iowa and is going to win again. I don't know if his opponent's ever gotten 37%, even though he almost always wins by double digits. So it's just, it's a bunk pull from that point on. You know, that you're saying that like there's like 25% undecided or something like that. It's just ridiculous.
0: So, okay, so now that we picked your brain on that one, what's on your mind? Okay, well, I, I don't think you've used
7: this qu- analogy for this specific situation. But talking about the uh, the, the Politico, um, I don't remember. I already forgot his name. Um, the one talking about talking to the media. Yeah, Schaefer. Uh, I, I know you, lo- you lo- love the Dark Knight and love referencing it. And I'm just thinking of the interrogation scene with the Joker where he says, there's nothing you can do to hurt me. I mean, w- what does the media have left to attack the right on? They're going to call us racist. They're going to call us sexist. They're going to call us white Christian nationalists. They're going to call us insurrectionists, election denying. You know, every you know, every one in the book. So the idea that there's something that they can do that we haven't already seen, it's just patently absurd on its face. And they just want access so that they can get their clicks. Is what it comes down to, in my opinion, because. If he's den- if he's not going to give interviews to Politico exclusives to Politico, then you know then people are just going to flock to whoever he does talk to because he will talk to certain outlets, uh, you know, and you know I actually it's kind of ironic because I feel like Politico has probably had some of the best reporting on Desantis, not like the vaccine shit, but like uh, Mark Caputo and I think he wrote something for politico and a couple other of the in depth pieces on him. I think they've actually done a fairly good and unbiased job for the most part. But you know, something like this is just gonna get him to say, uh hell no, I'm not talking to you. Uh
0: yeah, I would agree Caputo's good Caputo was down with politico in Florida. So he, you know, he's not ba- he wasn't based out of D the- I know he's at NBC now. Um <laughs> so I'm a little I, I just uh a thing on Twitter I'm distracted uh, Tom Nichols posing with Peter Strzok and all I can think uh-huh. about is it's nice of Peter Struck to get down to his level so he could have a picture um, but um, Caputo's generally pretty good um, and he you're right that he had some good journalism just on what is happening in Florida it's like um, as far as the national media makes this guy out to be you know Adolf Hitler number three I, what are we on what, are, what do we agree on we're on Hitler four now aren't we um, um, Reagan, Bush yeah. one,
7: Bush two, and Trump, plus though in McCain and Romney,
0: yeah, but uh, like official Hitlers, not loser Hitlers. Oh, um, man, I, I think we're like on number four. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do. I I was a little shocked at kind of the the Schaefer political. So I was even more shocked at the this North Korea like thing that huh. was written by, you know, by three guys that looks like it could have just been written by Ron Klain today, that the first ta- the first time that we're announced that we're in a recession in 15 years, and they're like, Biden's back! It's, it's just like, oh my God. Um, I, I thought it was parody. I didn't think it was Yeah, parody. it really read that way. And there was also like more, you know, Money Morning Ben or Ben White wrote his thing, you know, we're tomorrow, the numbers which might end up being revised will come out and and it was just like, what the fuck is going on with you people over there? And, you know, a lot of that has to do with, you know, Sam Stein is one of the leading editors, so he's going to guide coverage that way as well. Um, you know, to keep access, but you're right. You're, you're right in the sense of that. I think that was the main reaction to a lot of all three of these pieces that came out about, you know, how much Republicans you need as journalists. And you're absolutely right in the sense of like, what can you, you have nothing to offer us. Um, you're not going to give. you're not going to cover these issues fairly. You're not going to cover guns fairly. You're not going to cover religion fairly. Uh, you're not covering the Dobbs decision remotely fairly. Um, And so, you know, you guys aren't even reporting on, you know, 25 family crisis clinics getting firebombed because, you know, that makes most of your newsroom look bad. And so it's not even it's not even so much like the bias it is what you guys choosing not to report on. And I would agree with that. I would agree. That's simply what I would just say to them is what what can you you have nothing to offer us here. We I can go to YouTube. I can go to my YouTube channel and and. You know, I I can sit down with uh, a moderator of my choosing, and it could be anybody, and I can get my information out that way. Um, And then, of course, if YouTube shuts down the channel, that makes them an even bigger martyr. Um, And so yeah I, I kind of agree with that that you have a bunch of these fifty fucking year old reporters who still think that you know the the heartbeat of Twitter and the news media runs through them and it really doesn't they don't they don't really understand what social media is and how it works and they simply think it belongs to them and and it doesn't they've 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 tried to make it belong to them they they got Jack Dorsey to bend the knee a little bit uh, with some of their policies and their fact checking and you know if you look at what what you see on the trending thing now is what's happening, and every story is decontextualized. About you know, some people are talking about this Josh Hawley book title, and whatever or whatever it is, right? And so they they just have a fundamental misunderstanding of where I think the politics are, and you know, when you look at a Democratic Party that can't even get their shit together on a collective response to the Dobbs decision and Roe being overturned, um, the media really does just pick up the pieces and go, all right, we'll fucking do this for you, whatever. And if you're going to do that, you're going to end up being the primary opposition. It really is just kind of that simple. Yeah, I mean, um, Polita Math had this really great thread today.
7: Um, he was quoting uh, Matthew Chapman talking about uh, Romney in 2012. And he was tweeting about how You know, he was not presented as a threat to democracy or a man of rotten character. And he was not fact-checked ruthlessly, blah, blah, blah. And he just, Politomath just kind of takes this apart, going how they even went after Ann Romney for riding a horse for, um, you know, her multiple sclerosis, or they attacked her clothing. They attacked Romney for um, putting in an elevator so that he could help out his sick wife. And, you know, you have these people justifying it. There's this uh, uh, screenshot he put of Elpseth Reeve at, you know, our favorite, uh, our favorite media outlet, The Atlantic. It's perfectly okay to make fun of Ann Romney's weird horse sport. And it's just like, you know, I hate these people and they hate you. And why should we give them anything? You know, why, why should we give them any clicks? Why should you give them an exclusive interview? You know, for example, with DeSantis, I know, I know we're talking about him, but I do think he'll run, and I do think that he's the guy that everyone's going to have to consolidate around if you want to keep Trump out. Like, I would let him do an interview with Jonathan Swan, because I think he's generally fair, it'd be a tough, a good interview, and I still, you know, I would still insist, you know, this needs to be recorded, and blah, blah, blah. But I would give him an interview, but like 60 minutes in CBS, I would tell him to fuck off and say, you know, you can apologize to me for that hit piece over the vaccines. And then I'll think about it. But like, you know, why should you give them and give them the time of day whatsoever after that bullshit? And, you know, you don't have to go out of your way to be rude to them like Trump did on occasion, Um, but you should treat them with the scorn that they deserve. And frankly, we shouldn't nominate anybody who plays um, plays games with the media like that. Um, the one you referenced in your podcast and I saw online, the uh, the Rubio advisor saying talking about putting back on your blue suits. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, you know, not that anybody is going to vote for Larry Hogan anyways. But Larry Hogan p- playing patty cake on face the nation is just not going to get you the Republican nomination. That's just not how this is going to work.
0: Uh, yeah, I would I would agree with that. Those you know those days are Not to mention Hogan's you know obvious popularity is down. Um, I mean that's someone who could end up getting, being talked into running, but probably you know pulls three percent in Iowa and then it's over. Yeah, um, it's, and fit. and then he's the guy who ends up on again. He's the guy who ends up on Meet the Press as well. Something that is interesting. So when the Weekly Standard, here's a fun little story. When the Weekly Standard folded, um somebody in the know with when that went down and how it went down and why it went down, whatever, uh, which is why, you know, fat drunks like Jim Swift still have a hard on for Washington Examiner. Uh, There's a little more to it. But one of the things that they talked about, and I I, I 100% trust this person when they tell me that these were the kind of conversations happening, was when... You know, you have people at the time I was at National Review and I was kind of calling out the media strategy where Leslie Munez said, you know, Trump is bad for America, but he's great for us. And, you know, I was uh, that's when I really saw this. And that was the kind of stuff that, you know, had me sit down and write an entire manuscript on it. Um, but the people at the Weekly Standard had a different tact. And their idea was we can't really go after the media because we need the media to attack Trump we need them. We we need to get our side out. And if if we're going after Morning Joe, and if we're going after Chuck Todd, and if we're going after, you know, George Stephanopoulos, then we're going to be scorned, and we're not going to be able to go on TV and basically say, hey, look, no, there's some good ones left. And that was an actual, like, strategy that happened to Weekly Standard, which is why when Trump happened, you didn't see a ton of Weekly Standard hit pieces against, you know, why is Morning Joe giving Trump all these fucking airtime in the interviews. Are you people really the stupid? And so they basically said, well, we're not going to attack the media because we need them. Now that you know that story, it puts into a lot of perspective. Why you start to see Steve Hayes at CNN, Jonah Go- or Steve Hayes at NBC, Jonah Goldberg at CNN, David French is now popping up on CNN. He's, he was on reliable sources this past week. And of course, a lot of you are familiar with my round and rounds with, you know, people like Tom Nichols who brag about going on Morning Joe, to Trump, but you suck up and slurp up the table scraps of the one guy who did more to promote Trump than anybody during that entire cycle. And... Um, once you understand that that's their strategy, like Larry Hogan's strategies, I'm going to use the media to discredit Trump. And Liz Cheney, I'm going to use the media to discredit Trump. And and that's why you also understand why you see so many former Bush alum running MSNBC now. You have Nicole Wallace there, and obviously Steve Schmidt and his pineapples poke up on there from time to time. And uh, a lot of the Lincoln dudes now are, you know, nothing 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 was funnier to me than seeing fucking Rick Wilson – you know, giving Al Sharpton good courtesy. That was the funniest <laughs> fucking thing if for any of you. Again, who go back in history with Rick Wilson. It's the funniest thing I've, I think I've, one of the funniest things I've seen post Trump, like just, Holy shit. You, you were so hard up for cash that you have to go on MSNBC and kiss Al Sharpton's ring. How fucking beautiful is this? Um, but once you understand that, that that's how these guys think, that they think that they can use Meet the Press or JTAP or Brian Stelter to get their message out to counter Trump is a fundamental misunderstanding of military st- strategery. They don't understand what the fight is, and they don't understand what people think now, which is, no, CNN and MSNBC and MBC and Chuck Todd, those guys are the fucking enemy now. And no, I'm not going enemy of the people. Uh, they, they do, you know, they do do some enemy of the people shit but enemy of the people is not you know Jim Acosta asking dumb questions but you really understand that when you immediately go seeking the good graces of them you're right we've seen what they do too often and you're exactly right which is Larry Hogan is the good guy now and Liz Cheney oh she's gonna run And you see all of these resistance heads on Twitter going, man, you know what? I I don't like her and I wouldn't vote for her, but you've got to respect her. And uh, if she, you know, she could be president one day and you just fucking know the second, even if that plan worked and Liz Cheney got through the primaries and she's the nominee and Trumpism is vanquished and they think everything goes back to normal. um, And like you say, the dark night, like, no, you've changed things forever. There's no going back. Okay. And but let's just say that all happens and you know bill crystal is up there as as cheney's running mate and you know it's all happy happy and you know tim miller is press secretary and they all got their prestige back what do you think happens the day after liz cheney accepts a nomination warmonger daughter of a fucking war criminal father we're done with the cheneys that's what happens Threw her gay sister under the bus even though oh yeah no yeah yeah it's Yeah, even though the father was pro-gay rights before any of you, yeah, threw her gay sister under the bus. We can't trust her on gay rights. That's the real thing. And that's exactly what would happen. And all of us fucking know that. And if you don't know that, if you're Larry Hogan still kissing up to, you know, meet the person, well, we'll see about 2024. You know, I'm looking at some things. No, you're not. You're done. (laughs) Like, you're just done. We're, We're past all of that because we're wise to your fucking game. And we were wise to it over 2012. That was, that was it for a lot of us. It was it for me. I didn't quite go so nihilistic to where I'm, you know, happily checking the box for Trump, but I could fucking understand why a lot of people did. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the thing about Hogan
7: is I actually liked him in his Ruthless interview. He actually seemed like a pretty funny, entertaining guy who, like, come, came across a lot more conservative than I thought he would. But just, yeah, him playing patty cake with the media is that's that stat. and he's, you know, pro gun control, and pro abortion that you can't get through a Republican primary, even in normal times like that. So that's just never going to happen, despite, you know, how much Bill Crystal tries to make it, you know, make it happen. It's just not going to happen.
0: Are, uh, Crystal is free to waste as much as Pierre Otomiter's money as he wants. I have no problem with that. Yeah,
7: and then uh closing thought, I'll just I don't know if you saw this on uh the the Twittergram. Um this I don't even know who the hell this is, but it's Megan Gailey. I don't know, she was at the uh anti-abortion, as she says it, uh rally at the uh Indiana State House cuz Kamala was there, and they were doing a pro-abortion rally. So, she posted this picture and it's a, it's a picture of either Mennonites or Amish. I, I don't know
0: which. Um, yeah. So Megan, a- Megan Gally's a uh, comedian slash comedy nope. writer, whatever. But yeah, I, I know I'll let you, I'll let you, I won't take your thunder, but yeah, I know who she is.
7: Yeah. A photo of the anti-abortion crew at the Indiana state house today. I wish I was lying. And it's a picture of, you know, like I said, either a couple Amish or Mennonites. And first of all, the, the look on the girl's face is priceless. She's just looking at her in disgust, and I really appreciate that. But So she says, I wish I was lying, implying that she's making fun of them for how they look and how they dress. And then she cuts off her replies and says, and then she comments, she says, these people wish women were dead. They look like they're from 1820. Fuck off. And then she comments, y'all are really filling in your own blanks. I posted a photo of three people. She called them ugly? No, you're the ones calling them ugly. Well, what the hell did you mean by I wish I was lying? Like, the utter contempt they have, and I, you know, most... (laughs) I would I would assume that if you're on this call-in or on your podcast, you're probably not Amish. But they actively despise you for just living where you live, thinking what you think, voting the way you vote. And it's like, you know, again you should treat these people with the scorn that they deserve to set.
0: Yeah. It reminded me, I mean, the, the the response I saw to her, um, I I look at a lot of things like that. I mean, it's, it's whoever said the goal of Twitter, Twitter, every day on Twitter there's a main character and, and the goal is to not be it. Um, that's, that's really good advice. And nobody knew who this person was until she just did a stupid tweet about, you know, what's funny is her bio, she was in from L.A. to Chicago to New York. And then she just goes out and insults religious Mennonites. And then it's I'm going to double down on uh, being stupid about it in contempt. Um, and there there really is, you know, when I saw her bio and then I saw like uh, the clips of her, I was like, oh, of course, she's a struggling comedian in Los Angeles <laughs> because they all are like they, yeah. they all are like that. And it's just like, oh, another one. There's another one of these fucking people out there. Like, how many of there are you? And, um, you know, it's kind of like the failed branches off of the Megan Anrams and Aaron Gloria Ryans. And uh, I just kind of just go again. How many of these stupid people are you? Like these failing comedians in Los Angeles where... You know they they come out of Twitter to boost that, and then I think about like, is it worth it for your career? Because I, I bet if I went, in, if I just went into Google right now, let's just do this, just for shits and giggles. Megan Galey. Uh I got her bio here, American actress, whatever. Da 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 da, da, da. and I get her LinkedIn, and I get a couple of links, and then it's boom, it's that tweet, and it's like, there you go, there goes your whole comedy career. I guess the right people might hire her for that. But again, if I'm looking at, it, I'm just like um, you're. You're just going after Mennonites, I guess. Okay, uh, um, the beast. Right. So, like I said, I just I looked at that. I, I didn't really respond to that tweet because I saw a lot of people doing it. But I also looked at it and went, like, you know, I, I look at her probably the, the same way a lot of them look at me, which is like, who the fuck are you? In a way, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I, I, I'm I'm over here talking. I'm over here talking about like Jack Schaefer and political. I don't have time for like. Somebody who got rejected for a Netflix special for the third time. So, yeah. Again, there's there's only so many hours in the day and so many tweets to respond to. But I did see that one. I was just like, okay, I guess that that's. I guess congratulations on being the thing for the day. Yeah. Actual final thought. Uh, just first of all, picture that same photo and that
7: same description, but they're Muslims wearing uh, e-jabs. Um That would be fun if it was a right winger doing that. Um, and then the I just plead to the people in the call-in, everybody should go watch uh, the clip going around on Twitter of Alito making fun of Trudeau and Boris Johnson over the Dobbs decision because it's a great clip and it makes all the right
0: people angry. Yeah, so- what was funny about that – yeah, go ahead, Sam. Great. Uh, Yeah, no, to, to finish Samuel's thought on that, the funniest response to that was – Alito has been like his, you know, his house has been threatened. They're out looking for him. It was just revealed that this guy who wanted to kind of kill Kavanaugh was looking for two other justices. And um, and so Alito breaks this little crack about, you know, making all, all those people upset. And the and the press just loses it. And they're like, how dare you breach decorum, sir? <laughs> it's like, hey, guys, fucking decorum was breached a while ago. Again, that's over with. Uh, Yeah, it was was a funny speech, and yeah, like Samuel said, it made all the right people angry. Uh, John, go ahead. Thanks for waiting. We'll go John, Chris, and John over there uh, just to wrap up. So go ahead, John. Hey, Stephen, thanks for having me on.
8: Long time, first time. Um, Just wanted to bring it back around to this recession stuff with Joe Biden today. And how hilarious it is when you really look at the the just the amateurism the absolute amateurism it's just full on gaslighting they can't even say for a half a second yes this is a recession and you know, it, it would be so easy to just own it for 5 seconds and say look it's a recession you know, the textbooks say it's a recession but pivot to some good points or but, you know it, it would be so easy to just own this and pivot off of it but what do we get instead i have to you know i have to watch this blue check crossfire on twitter all day long with these idiots going back and forth debating the definition of a recession of course it's a recession own it pivot off of it and you know you could get a handle on this thing so easy they just cannot do it it's absolute nonstop gaslighting. And I know I just sound like an angry, uh, you know, New York sports talk caller, but
0: just completely baffled by how they played this. Maybe I shouldn't be. No, I mean, you shouldn't be. As, as, as I said, a certain amount of these people, they, they really do get off on just trying to basically spin through it. I mean, that's just what they, that's, they, they look at it as a problem to solve. So when it comes out, and I said especially gensaki. Saki. And her fucking little Tracy Flick personality just loved it. So something would come up, and she would she would look at Twitter and see what the reporters were talking about, and and going through it, and and oh, I know how I can come up with this. And then she would come up with this cute little excuse, and uh, all of the all of the press in the room would go, oh, ah, oh, that was a good one, Jen, knowing full well that she's just completely yanking their chain and fucking with them. Somebody said like the, with Saki. There was exactly one reporter in that entire room that wasn't angling to be on her new show, and that was Peter Ducey. And that's absolutely right. Um, we saw that today with Corrine Jean Pierre with Ducey talking to her about the migrants, and you know, just really just pressing her. And then she's just she's just like, "No, that's not what I have said. That's not what we said." And so once you understand that these people are just. Basically, there to just they look at it as a game. They just they literally look at it as if we admit we're in a recession, they're going to put that in political ads from now until November, and so we can't do that. Um, I kind of agree with you. If I if I'm buying, I say, well, this, this while today with two growth meets the technical uh, definition of a recession, job growth is still strong, even though it's not really, but that at least buys you some time. You say, you know, people are still hiring out there. Jobs are still growing. He took credit for all the jobs that were lost during the pandemic and just came back. Whatever. But you at least buy yourself some leeway and you get people like me to kind of go, oh, so he admitted we're in a recession. Well, that was refreshing, I guess. Um, But, yeah, once you understand kind of how D.C. works and why they do this, because that's what everyone said. like you, you're just like, why the fuck are they doing this right in front of us out in the open? Um, I thought it was interesting also today while you have Jack Schaefer and you have these media pieces saying, you know, Republicans aren't talking to us because we're just biased now, I guess, or whatever. You literally have Brian Deese, the economic advisor, uh, redefining what, uh, what a recession means with two quarter negative growth GDP. When in 2008, he used that definition and said, that was the definition. And we did not get a single reporter, a single host, a single morning show host, any of them asking him, well, wh- why did you define it in this way in 2008, sir? Why do I have to, or why do you, John or Chris or John or anyone else out there in the audience have to rely on the RNC's official Twitter feed to show that c- conflict? And that's generally the problem. That's again, like what Sammy said, that's why we don't need these people anymore. If you're not going to relate to us basic information, then get the fuck out of our way. And that's, that to me was one of the most glaring examples where you, you know, Brian Deese is doing the rounds and he's like, no, this isn't a recession. We didn't meet the technical terms of a recession and then I have my shoe in my head and whatever. And then here's this quote of him in 2008 and not once was it put up on the screen for him to say, well, sir, this is what you called it in 2008. What changed? And, and it's so funny because it could have been
8: neutralized so easily. And what do we get instead? You know, Tucker Carlson running B-roll footage of every single Democrat from the beginning of time talking about a recession is two quarters negative GDP growth. You have to, I have to watch Bill Clinton talking to George W. Bush about it and just you know, you know, archive footage after archive Jeff on, on and on and on and on and it could have been prevented so easily, but yet they just they 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 can't even concede even a sliver of reality. It's absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah, and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to shed light on why they're doing it. I'm 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 pretty amazed where it's just like all right, I guess. Uh, and like somebody said earlier, it's just it's we have to get out of the news cycle. We'll deal with the next one. We'll deal with the next one. And then sure enough, what happens when we hit three quarters? Now now the press is screwed. They have screwed themselves, and they don't think about this. They, I think that they think that the news cycle is fast enough now where it moves on, and no one's going to think about it. I guarantee you, every person like me is clocking for the next quarter. If we end up, if we end up a negative recession, if negative GDP growth there for three quarters, now we just go, now is it a recession? You guys, you completely just fucked yourselves. And all you had to do was the press. All they had to do was be accountable and be consistent. Um, I noted, uh, let me, I'll, I'll go back and I'll find this real fast. I don't Uh, what was it? I think last night from, again, I think it was Politico. um, Here's the here's the Ben White tweet from Politico. Set your alarms. Tomorrow we get the first possibly inaccurate and certain to be revised reading of U.S. economic performance in the second quarter of this deeply weird economic year. One metric one metric to measure if we're in a recession. (laughs) Here was uh, Politico's tweet from August of 2019. Donald Trump baselessly accused the press of trying to tank the American economy, shrugging off any blame for a possible recession heading into his reelection next year. And as I've stated, I don't really have a problem with that political tweet. I mean, it's obviously biased to its core, but I don't have a problem with press hitting politicians. I really generally don't. And I've said, for you know, other than a lot of the grandstanding between Acosta, Michel Cinder and a few others during Trump's years, I don't really care that they yelled questions at him and they were kind of belligerent with him. I think that the press should be belligerent with every politician. But of course, we see what they're doing with Biden. And they're just like, no, 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 it's not a recession. It's whatever. And a lot of that just simply has to come because of the Bidens. If they admit it, that's going into every political ad again from now until November. Just uh,
8: one other quick point, uh, and I'll let you go Um, live here in southwestern Pennsylvania. Follow West Virginia politics pretty closely, and the adventures of Joe Manchin. And you, if you haven't done it, you really need to go read this bill and look how look just look at all the giveaways. I mean, you know, I'm a pro fossil fuel guy, um, but you know, all the drill, all the offshore drilling permits, and on, and on and on and on and on. And then watching all of these frauds all over Twitter celebrating how this is some kind of victory for clean energy. And just go look at the responses and how telling they are and how the entire renewable industry is just propped up by these tax credits. I mean, they basically, in some of these media hits today, basically came out and almost said, you know, this, this bill's going to save our industry because it's entirely reliant upon, you know, federal income tax credits and, and whatnot. And so it's, it's really funny to go check this stuff out, but you know, How funny is it going to be? This is kind of my parting shot. How how funny is it going to be when after jerking their chain again, that this whole thing blows up because they don't have cinema on board? Um,
0: (laughs) Naughty. That's my parting shot. I'm waiting waiting to see. Yeah, I'm waiting to see. That's why I haven't really commented too much on this. Uh, I, I can't believe, you know, obviously, I think Republicans got too comfortable with Manchin but um, and, and thank you, John. Um, but, yeah, I'm waiting to see because, man, if cinema tanks this whole thing, you're just you're going to see them go to fucking threat level midnight. And it's going to be so funny to watch. So I'm sure uh, my app mentions will will be filled to the brim once that happens. So we'll see. Chris, my trader from Kanata
9: your hello I, I i'm chris in vancouver uh i'm tired grumpy i'm wearing a skeletor shirt shorts and a pair of crocs
0: thank you chris so
9: um <laughs> thank you um i, I figured uh, i would give of course you the some, fucking canadian some... is wearing
0: crocs go ahead
9: <laughs> yeah i thought you'd like that i, I figured i i i would uh Tell you that I did some good in the world today, and that is, uh, we were running a a, a story no, no, about no Canadian does
0: any good in the world on any day. But we'll, I'll hear you out. That's okay because I'm American.
9: So the uh, so-called recession controversy was was in in it was in a story, and I I actually went to I actually went over to I was ended up chatting or scolding our producer. Saying, "Hey, why are we taking talking points from the White House? This is gaslighting, and and it is a recession. It isn't a so-called recession. It's a recession. Two, two, ter- two quarters of, of down uh, of lower G- GDP is a recession." And she did listen to me, and she actually did not air the package in the next show. So I feel like I've done some good in the world. At least I was I was listened to, and 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 I yelled at someone who I thought deserved it at the time.
0: You know, you now realize you're going to have to go to anger and diversity equity treatment for this now, right? Yeah, but I, that was going to happen anyway. Uh okay, I'll give you to it. <laughs> that's that's a little bit of good for it. Um anything else happening up there you always like to uh send us stories from behind the scenes. Chris works in media up in Vancouverish. And uh, so is there is there any other fun examples about how this recession shit's getting covered up there or it's
9: it's usual uh, the Biden thing. I there was I think you did a text or you did a tweet. uh, There was a shooting up here. Yeah. Yeah. He did that. And we uh, and a member of the media decided just to blame Joe Rogan for it because Joe (laughs) Rogan mentioned that uh, they because this this particular shooter uh, went after homeless members or homeless people. And Joe Rogan last week said, why don't we just shoot homeless people? Like it it was a complete joke. It was was obviously a joke. Eh, But because that happened, uh, you know, all of a sudden, Joe Rogan's the reason why uh, filthy Canadians shoot homeless people. Yeah, so that, I, I actually
0: blame the New York Times because they endorsed cannibalism last week. So I, I, I agree. And then I was going to ask you one last thing. Last week I went with
9: the, the uh, Sonic Youth question. This week I'm going to go with uh, who who would you prefer or who do you like better, Belly,
0: or the Breeders. Uh this 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 is a good one, Chris. Uh it's belly and it's not particularly close and I will tell you why. Um they're often. Awesome. I was kind of I was kind of a big belly fan in, in my Utes and I got tickets to see them at the uh Ogden Theater in Denver. And anyone who if you're familiar with that, it's a very small theater. Um doesn't it's an independent theater so it's where all the indie bands played for the smaller bands, which is how I got hooked on those venues and I still am to this day. I'll take a small venue over, you know, a stadium or even a huge amphitheater anytime. Um and God, who so Belly was playing with someone. I'm I'm gonna have to rack my memory. And I think is they it were with Catherine Will? No. They were they were open no Belly was definitely the main band. But I forget who played with them. And during the opening set, um, so I was up kind of by the, by the, uh, the railing. So there was a railing and then there's the pit. So I had these really good seats. And, um, and so like during the opening set, something that uh, this would happen, uh, this would happen a lot, um. During these during these smaller shows, is band members would just go stand down off to the side, and you they would just be standing there like with the crowd, just watching the opening band, and like nobody would really do much. And I was like, "Oh shit, okay." So standing down off the side um, was Tanya Donnelly, and also uh, the bass player. I think it was Gale. G- G- yeah, so it was a bass player. And, uh, I was like, holy shit. And so I was with my brother cause he kind of introduced me to a lot of this stuff and he's like, yeah, just go fucking whatever. Just go. So, so I take over my, uh, my ticket stub and I, I had a pen or a marker or whatever. I, I don't know how I got one. So I just walked up and I said, Hey, I was like uh big, big fan, whatever. Uh, I was just wondering if I could just get you guys to just sign this. So I kept it. And they were like, yeah, cool. And so at the time I was just, I was one of these weird kids in high school where I was always changing like my hair and some of my style. I was a Doc Martin kid. And so I actually, I had my hair permed once in high school. (laughs) And so it was like really curly at the beginning, but as it grew out, it kind of turned into like this weird, like bleached, blonde, not fully bleached blonde, but like James Dean style quaff, you know, like whatever. And Tanya T- T- Donnelly just kind of takes it, and goes, Yeah, right on. And he goes, Oh, I love your hair too. And fucking runs her fingers right through my hair. And <laughs> I was but She reached like, up. Oh, He's really short. Sh- shit. Yeah, no, she's like, reached She goes, Yeah, because you know, it runs right, like rocking the rocking hair there, or whatever. And like, reached up. And I'm like, What the fuck? And like, oh, okay. Yeah. And just runs it through. And goes, Oh, that's beautiful. And then the bass player signs it like, Rock on. Hey, Steve. Like, whatever. She asked, What's your name? I was like, Oh, it's Steve. Like, whatever. She goes, like, Hey, Steve is like, hey, like, Rock on whatever like that, and that is my belly story, and that was right kind of I think that that was right after their second album, which you know hmm. so, they, so they did the first one and then they did King, and that King they saw a little bit of success with that, like not a ton, but it, it did get a, it did get some of its play with a few with a couple of the songs, and then we never heard from them ever again. okay so well, yeah that, I, th-
9: that, I, that is so, the correct choice.
0: Yeah, uh, not uh, don't hate the breeders, but I I don't have a uh, Tanya Donnelly indie crush story from them, so uh, that was that was one of my that was one of my favorite ones. I have a couple of other ones, but you're just gonna have to stumble onto them with these weird choice questions every week.
9: I will, I, I will, uh, I, I will fully admit I have a the belly logo, but I don't know if you remember their Japanese album. No, that they had. Mm-hmm. But I actually have the belly logo with the king tattooed on my arm. So... Jesus, Chris.
0: <laughs> God sakes, man.
9: <sighs> when I showed All that right. to Tanya Donnelly, she's like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> she thought that was the <laughs> –
0: Have I lost my indie cred now? No, that's, that's, <laughs> that depends on what it looks like. My brother got – uh. <laughs> the uh, the red the red crouching man from the from the the, the dusk cover yes. tattooed on his shoulder and I think he ended up regretting that one I think he said something about that um, and uh, yeah he so he got the uh, the Matt Johnson the the, the uh, dusk album logo tattooed on his shoulder it's there so you you and him are in that same kind of breed I guess <laughs> breeders anyway yeah.
9: so yeah that's all I will uh, I'll think of the next ninety weird nineties oh. Speaking of Denver, did you like the band Spell?
0: Never heard of them.
9: Okay, because they're from Denver. That's why I, I asked. Oh, okay. They're from no. the '90s. Okay, ne- never heard of them. In that case, you have a great
0: you have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Chris. Cheers. Uh, wrapping up, we we had a uh, Jeremy join uh, the queue, but I invited him back uh, to talk on Saturday because he's always one of ours. And uh, I'll let him introduce himself on Saturday, kind of related to some of the things we're talking about. But, John, take us home. We went way over. <laughs> we always do. Yeah, so thanks. so make, make it worth it and, and send us all out on a bang. Okay.
10: Know. Yeah, thanks Thanks for uh, waiting for me. Uh, I, I know I saw Jeremy in behind me. I'm, I dream of a world one day where uh, Ron DeSantis, President Ron DeSantis, is gutting the federal bureaucracy. And him and Christina Bush are saying, what are you going to do, media? cry about it. But uh, uh, I yep. spent, I I work in uh, energy, so I uh, I think it was uh Ben and John covered a lot of the stuff I was losing my mind about today. But I work in energy, and because Joe Biden regulated all other resources out of existence, I was at a uh, solar meetings all day, <laughs> just losing my mind about uh, reconciliation and all the climate stuff. <laughs> so. This all is basically happening because Republicans got snookered on chips.
0: Uh, yeah. They, they, I, 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 to this day, I, I'm not one of these reactionary guys where I'm like, you know, fuck McConnell and get rid of the stats. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't go full schlichter over things like this, but I really am sitting here going like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Yeah. Giving them anything this close to the midterms. What are you oh, doing? Yeah. Like, what? Oh, yeah, what no. Why?
8: Why? Yeah. Like, that, that's... That's stop. exactly like, what I was
2: gonna
10: say. Like, like, and McConnell actually, to his credit, did point all of this out that was gonna happen. He was holding chips hostage and said, "As long as reconciliation's on the table, I'm not gonna do anything." But then John Cornyn, uh, who's been a superhero lately in the Senate, apparently uh, for the Democrats at least, he he literally was quoted in Politico today uh, when they asked him about cinema. He said she was not consulted. I, I know I can trust her when she tells me something, but I'm getting to think I can't trust other people around here when they tell me something because they so routinely lie about that. He's been a senator for 20 goddamn years, and he just now learned that today. Like, <laughs> they didn't even wait 24 hours to backstab him on all this. And, yeah. like, like, <laughs> like the, all the people mad at McConnell, like, it's either going to be him or Thune, and they're both going <laughs> to be playing checkers and not chess. Because it's like, Manchin I didn't think was good at chess, but he has the Manchin cycle where he goes – Criticizes the Democrats, then uh, uh, encourages bipartisanship, then announces his support for the Democrats. And he just did that again in record time. And like, basically, like you said, they just handed out all this stuff to West Virginia because they got to tell their base that they got the biggest climate package in history. And like, I, I was in this meeting today. Some environmentalist was like, oh, renewables aren't subsidized as much as coal and gas because. The, the pollution is killing thousands of people a year and that's a strain on our healthcare system. And that's actually more subsidies than that. So like,
0: and also, and also <laughs> affects and also affects people of color and of transgender the most. Yeah,
10: how dare you? Uh uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. So they're, they're happy to kill all the West Virginians. If they like, they truly believe that. So like, yeah, just give them all the coal, kill all the Republicans that weren't going to vote for Manchin anyway. <laughs> then it's a win-win for everyone. But like in, in the package for reconciliation, Like, they they want to try to make siding easier, and that's basically all I deal with. Like, all of this is done at the local level. In uh, in Ohio, it's done at the state level. In Indiana, it would have been, but um, a lone Democrat senator encouraged by the environmentalists, stopped a statewide siding bill that would have filled Indiana to the brim with solar panels. So they're they're just killing all their life's work all the time. But like, this, this siding crisis is coming soon because they're not going to be able to build all these, like John was saying earlier. And, like, it's not doing much for the climate because, like, they're building it all with coal plants in China. And now, like, the thing is, it's not just coming from the Democrats. All these utilities, all the gas companies, they're all he- heavily invested in this. <laughs> like, BP, Shell, even uh, coal companies have their own uh, solar companies now. So that's why, that's why they're not pushing back on this because they're, they're making money either way. So, like... I've seen what like DeSantis is doing and like, with all the anti ESG stuff, what uh, Riley Moore just did, the West Virginia Treasurer banning all these banks. And like, I, I was wondering what you think of all this ESG stuff because I, I like the theory from a lot of Republicans has been like we have to get a seat at the table with the Democrats or they're going to do the Green New Deal, but they're basically doing it bureaucratically through the public sector or the private sector instead of the public sector through all this ESG stuff, because everyone has an ESG score. (laughs) Countries are literally collapsing because they're trying to boost their score. And like (laughs) it's Exxon Mobil has a top 10 ESG score. And like, if you send weapons to Ukraine instead of Russia, your ESG score goes up. So I don't think many of those are helping the environment actually. So (laughs) I I see a lot of like all the Republicans that sort of see where this is going and like, uh, seem like they, see where the base is heading they're all pushing this esg stuff or the anti-esg stuff and i was just wondering like like it's, it's all about like the free market bringing in these corporations to stay in and creating jobs but like at what point don't we have a free market when they're <laughs> pushing all this stuff from the top down bureaucratically right. through companies when they couldn't do it through the government
0: i think it's tricky i think you know as they put in for and for people not you know Understanding ESG, it's it's basically ideological investing. So it's uh, it's companies like you say you come in and um, it's sort of it's sort of like what he what he did with Disney. And um, I think I think it's tricky. And this is one of the questions where we're at with the political right now, which is um, and this is what makes some of that old guard uncomfortable, and, and some of it makes me a little uncomfortable. I think I think you have to pick your battles wisely on this because you're going to be looked at as using, you know, your state authority to dictate which companies can exercise their free, essentially their free speech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that, that goes along with, you know, how they invest with their money. And, you know, he, he basically wants to ban this. He wants to ban I- investing along ideological lines. And I don't think that that's something that can necessarily hold up, but it's also something again, I don't know how serious he is or if he's just putting the talking point out there. Does that make sense? So yeah. he, he I don't know how much of it is him actually saying we're we're gonna go after all of these companies for you know ideological investing, whatever mm-hmm. like that. As much as and he and he gave, you know, he he gave a speech about this. Uh-huh. And uh you know, just so people are kind of in the know. Um, I'm just I'm looking at a tweet here and it basically says this is from his Twitter account where it says Florida's proposed legislation to protect against ESG will uh, prohibit big banks and credit cards from discriminating against customers for their religious, political or social beliefs. Uh, You know, this also goes back because we saw this happen with a few people. We saw this happen like Laura Loomer, um, the nutball that she is. I think she lost like her PayPal account and she lost her bank account. And you see like the Lincoln dudes going after businesses and banks and they want to prevent, you know, anyone who they think is an insurrectionist from having a bank account. And so there's that aspect where I think he's in the right, where it's like you cannot, you you know, let's say with me, so I use Bank of America. And let's say Bank of America finds out who I am, a conservative commentator, whatever, I don't know, Daily Beast or Rolling Stone does a hit on me or something. And Bank of America, I get a notice from my bank or a phone call saying, I need, you know, we we can't do business with you anymore. You need to come close out your bank account. And we're very sorry. And I say, well, why is this? Oh, they're not going to tell me that it's, oh, because we found out you're, you know, a conservative, you know, classical liberal commentator for Fox News and whatever, stuff like that. So they're probably not going to say that. Um, but I, I think there's some legitimacy to that where we're, you know we're going to protect against this happening. He also says he wants to prohibit, uh, prohibit SBA fund managers from considering ESG factors when oh. investing in states' money
10: Yeah because so, that's, uh, that's what West Virginia just did. Uh, it kind of got buried in the news today, but their treasurer he banned uh, Blackrock Goldman Sachs, JP. Chase and Co. Uh, Morgan Stanley and Wells Fargo uh, from. Getting state contracts basically because they said they were discriminating against fossil fuels. So that that's that's sort of where I've been seeing so much of this. Where like like I I've been told like we're never going to build another oil refinery again in this country (laughs) because like they're they're saying we're on the transition and we're not going to be using it in twenty years. So why would we invest millions billions of dollars in building these? So that's why we've got to go to 100% renewables, but then we can't use nuclear at all because the waste is scary. So it seems like,
0: like and, 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 and wait and wait till are- and wait till people find out how lithium batteries are mined and made.
10: Oh yeah, because that, so. that's the whole thing. Like I, I was at this presentation today explaining it to rural, Mid- met, rural midwesterners how solar is going to give you a bunch of money and solve the free market, baby. But the, like these lithium batteries, like they they aren't there yet, really developers are just starting to build them with projects. And like, they're they're all mined by like children in the Congo. And then all the solar panels are made by slaves and we're pretending we're saving the worth, the world with it when it's probably uh, helping increase pollution due to all the coal plants, China's building to uh, build all this shit for us. So yeah, I mean, the, the... the States are finally like, like West Virginia finally did this. And like, there was a bill I know in like a couple States, I know Indiana had one where, like they were going to ban these banks from getting state contracts for discriminating against so, this. So I'm not sure how far and what to think about it because, like yeah, I believe in the free market. I also believe like if the companies hate you and like want you to fail,
0: yeah, like you
10: shouldn't just give them handouts. So like or like with Disney where they have like a Vatican City in Florida. <laughs>
0: Right. And that that's where, you know, the old guard clashes with the new I, I look at it and I say, just simply the ballgame has changed, where if our media, which is where the starts, is going to start demanding corporations speak out on political issues to to exert public pressure, which is what happened with Disney. Mm-hmm. Nobody, when, when, uh, the, the parent, the parent protection act or whatever it's called went through in Florida, nobody was talking about Disney. It just, it went through the legislature quietly went through the house and then it was bill passes. Don't say gay bill passes. Blah, blah, blah. And then of course the media picks up the don't say gay language and everyone saw an enlightening exchange. I had with a Florida sunset and a reporter on that one. And then it was like our media and it's those people they they decide we're going to go to the state's largest employer which is Disney and we must we have to get their thoughts on this Disney are, why do you accept this Disney why are you staying here why can't you move to California why aren't you speaking out and Disney goes oh fuck shit oh shit we have a we have a PR disaster on our hands and it turns out for the most part it looks like Desantis pretty much won that fight so when you start having, if the media is going to start telling corporations that they must believe a certain thing and Bo Burnham spoofed this beautifully in his thing, which is, you know uh, why won't Butterfinger speak up for, you know, trans rights today or some (laughs) shit like that. Right. You know, why won't, why won't Skittles endorse puberty blockers for kids and speak out against DeSantis? Then if you choose, I, I look at it and I say this, when you choose to enter that arena, where you're going to not only speak out, but Disney had lawyers on this. They said they're going to fight this in the courts and stuff Mm. like that. Well, you're no longer just a free market company. You're now, you're almost like a public lobbying firm where you're going to use your corporate influence and your corporate money to uh, try to block laws that are being passed. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not just the private company anymore. You're now, Mm. you're, you're now part of the conversation. And if you want to be part of the conversation, you're going to find someone like Ron DeSantis who is more than happy to make you part of the conversation. And again, so there's, there's times with this stuff where I don't like what he's doing. We just saw this thing where, uh, and I, I, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a bar or an establishment in, florida that did a drag show for kids or something like that and desantis has now basically said they filed an official complaint against this business for doing this and i guess you'd have to look at if there was a law broken if you know if their alcohol was being served on premises with kids i don't know the laws in florida that one would surprise me i think in florida i think people are just able to just drink around any age kids you know like whatever who cares it's florida um but DeSantis has said they filed an official complaint against this business for doing that. And that's where I kind of step back and I go, OK, this is a private business that's doing this. They're not, you know, this this is their choice. And it's a parent's choice to take their kids to this business. And you can disagree with it. You can call it child abuse. You can, you can call protective services. That's an option for you. But when the state steps in and starts doing that, that's when my libertarian instincts kick in. And I just say, eh, I don't like that one. Um, but if yeah. if a huge like you said, if if Merrill Lynch or if you know Bank of America, if they're going to start, you know, exerting their corporate pressure over private individuals about like who can and cannot have a bank account with them, um, this is basically you're going down the road of classifying political belief as a civil right, and. I don't know about that. That's a, that's going to be an interesting debate. Where it, it, is your is your just your simple caste system of beliefs that you th- things that you believe in? Uh, if if I'm pro life, does that prevent me from being able to open a credit card? Um, then that's something we're going to have to talk about because it really is just it's a new ball game. And again, you can thank our media for for going this route. It's the only one that they have. They couldn't stop Desantis from signing this bill. So they said, we, we're going to go after the companies and we're going to make them kind of put pressure on families and people in there in Disney. And we're, and we saw that with Dobbs and Roe as well, which they couldn't, they can't stop the Supreme court from overturning it. They couldn't stop the decision. So now it's, we're, we need to go and get, you know, all the airlines to speak out against this or whatever. And something that you would hope, and this is how I view it. Something you would hope on the situation is that these companies are smart enough to tell these journalists to go fuck themselves, to say, look, we'll deal with this. If you do this, we'll deal with this with our own PR department. And no one will care in a week. Um, and you're starting to see some of that stuff where I think Jettle Gum, who used to be Think Progress, RIP, it, it, he's, he's one of the leading guys who does this. He reaches out to companies who donate to Republicans. And what do you think about this? You must hate gays or some shit. And then you hear him say, I haven't gotten a response back. And so my hope is that companies would do that, regardless of where their CEO believes or whatever. They they give their staff a week off for pride. Who cares? But my hope is that this is something where DeSantis or other GOP, they wouldn't have to get involved because the companies are smart enough to know, shit, if I do this, not – you know, I might be facing a backlash in the progressive media or or at NBC or whatever – but we all saw kind of what fucking happened with Disney, which is they faced a backlash. You now, the CEO's like, this was not worth it at all. Yeah. And so to me, that's what you would hope, to where we don't have to get to this point to where, you know, a governor has to step in or a president has to step in and say – you know what, we're not going to allow you to discriminate against people on political beliefs. And like I said, the only way to do that is you, you might have to pass like a civil rights act that says, you know, you're protected. Credit card company cannot, cannot ban you because of what you write on sw- social media or whatever. And now you're going down a road of can a company fire you for what you post on Twitter. And so it opens up a lot of can of worms. But I think the thing that's important to remember is this is, again, not a fight we picked. This was a fight that they picked and the media said, let's go do this. Let's get Disney or let's get these companies on board to speak out, you know, like, we, we, you know, Coca-Cola must speak out for trans puberty blockers. And these companies are going to have to start weighing this themselves and saying, is this really worth our time and, and effort and the amount of people we're going to piss off on every side of the issue? We're not going to win at all. And so you'd hope these companies just go, yeah, no comment, fuck off, we're done. So, um, but some aren't going to do that. So that's when we're now to a point to where you do have to step in. And so that's largely how I view this. A company like Disney is not just a private entity; they're a, they're a billion billion dollar international media conglomerate. And I think DeSantis has a point, and and it's one of those that sticks when he says, "I'm not going to let a company run out of California and don't doing business with China." Going to dictate the laws of the people of Florida, and that's again, it's a little bit more complicated than that. But that's also a talking point that will stick with a lot of people.
10: Yeah, yeah, because like, like with the trans thing, you said, like, I, I thought I saw like a tweet about that. I was like a kid with like a drag queen or something. But like, if if you try to overregulate bad parenting, then blue states are just going to start stealing your kid if you don't transition it when someone says you have to. But like. Uh, like, with, with the Disney stuff, like, yeah, with, like, all they're doing with China, like, like, if you thank the Chinese Communist Party for letting you use their concentration camp to film Lulan and Xinjiang, like, you shouldn't be commenting on U.S. politics, too, then, <laughs> like, you lo- you shouldn't, like, you- if you're you gonna do all that, like, maybe you shouldn't have an autonomous theme park government in the middle of <laughs> one of the most populous states in the country, so, like, I-, I don't know where the line is, and like you said, it's like a whole new ball game and we're in uncharted waters just trying to figure this out but like hopefully like with disney like once desantis hit them on the head a lot of companies backed off with all the the stuff they were doing because for so long like all they had to do was pander to the socialists and they loved them and then the conservatives were gonna buy whatever's cheapest anyway but now like if they see 2 can play this game then hopefully it stops but i don't know if we have enough people that will make it stop to where it gets to that point so i'd it's good to hear your opinion. Thanks for waiting for me to finish out tonight. I won't take up any more time, but
0: yeah, thanks for waiting for me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, John. It's, like I said, uh, I, I like hearing from, you know, different people in different industries, especially as it relates to things we're going to. So it's interesting stuff about solar. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know where this goes, but uh, l- by, lar- by large and part, this is not a fight that we're picking. We're just simply reacting to this stuff. Um, and then eventually it's going to get to a point to where, either through presidential power or governor power, we're going to be, we're going to stop reacting to this stuff. And that's, that's when the fit will really hit the sham with the media. And that's to bring everything, you know, circle of life Simba. So we'll see. Um, we obviously ran way over. (laughs) It's all right. Um, you know, I try, I try to always say, Oh, go for an hour. But I also try to be fair to get everyone in to speak. Um, this has been episode 29 versus media live recession deflections. um, I, I'm going to look at possibly being back here on Saturday as well, just because there's so much going on and I've gotten requests, you know, uh, for for people to, to do this a little bit more to get more people up to speak. So uh, maybe look for me back here sometime Saturday. I don't really know what time yet. Uh, I'll be back on versus media on Patreon tomorrow. I'll have a podcast out probably in the afternoon and uh, as well as one on Saturday, hopefully as well uh, with that. So again, thanks everybody for coming in and listening. Thanks everyone for uh, for those of you who are participated and calling. Uh, Like I said, if you're, if you're out there and you always think you have something to say, um, you kind of get what we do here. Now I'm not, I'm not here to like judge or do anything like that. I like hearing everybody's stories where you're from in the country your own experiences because 90% of the time, what you're learning with this little experiment is that you guys know more about what's going on than any single journalist in New York City or Washington DC writing for the Washington Post and the New York Times, which is why I do this format. That's why I don't really bring up big popular famous guests. I'd rather hear from you guys and your experiences. So um, anyway, I, uh, thanks again to the callers. Thanks again to the audience. Uh, look for me back here probably this weekend, probably on Saturday. And, uh, again, is me live. I'm Stephen on Miller and you can also get me on red steez and thanks for listening. Go, go to sleep or go do whatever it is. Now go set some hobos on fire or continue to drink heavily, whatever it is you dregs do tonight. So thanks again. See you back here soon. Cheers.